All right, welcome to the High Low Podcast. You're listening to Eric Biggie Bartoldus. Hey, Eric Biggie Bartoldus. Who's our guest today on the High Low Podcast? Uh, Jason Richardson. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's you. I guess it's me, yeah. Where are we today, Jason? We're excited. We've had fun already. We did. We did. We're at uh, Yoshimura. So, what is Yoshimura? Uh, Yoshimura is a 65-year-old performance motorcycle brand. There we go. Yeah, we make exhausts. It started out uh, as engine tuning and evolved into exhausts probably in the 70s. And that's what our main product is right now is motorcycle exhaust for dirt bikes, street bikes, ATV, UTV, all of it. So, And for the ones that might not know, Big E is actually the former... Well, he has a lot of BMX history. That's why we're here. But... Uh, Powerlight, the 90s, Donnie Robinson, Mario Yellow Sudden. Sub- Yellow Submarine, E-Team, um, let's see, Cyclecraft, Redline, we got all that was the, it's all out of order, but I'm just, just what's yeah. coming to mind, we flashbacks. Got, we got lots to talk about. A lot. I want to, actually, first, uh, before we get into this, I do want to say, uh, I really appreciate you guys coming up here. I mean, you know, time is, is money, and you guys take your valuable time here to... to come here and do a podcast with me, which I'm super, I mean, all the guys that you've done podcasts with, and then you do a podcast with me, I'm like, I'm super humbled and honored. Like, I'm like, what have I done, right? So I really appreciate that. He's done all this, people. All <laughs> he's, he's smack talking, but I do appreciate it. And I just feel like um, I was just this tiny spoke in the wheel. And to be on your podcast with the guys that you've done stuff with is just, it's really, really cool. So oh, I, I appreciate, appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you coming on. You know, me and Jason, obviously, 90s guys. We like to keep, keep this podcast kind of on. Well, we just kind of enjoy 90s stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's our era. And we enjoy it. And we, we're slowly working our way behind the scenes. We obviously did TC, Todd Corbett, GTT manager a couple of weeks ago. Got a lot of traction. And uh, we, we, we love your guys' stories, you know. Yeah. Uh, before. And, and the current guys, the current guys need... I don't say need, but they like they like the backstory too. They like the backstory. Yeah, too. and I think I think what's cool about the guys that you do stuff with, like whether it's you know TC or or any of the guys that you've done in the past, it's like a lot of these guys' careers bridged over decades, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this massive transition from you know from comp threes to balder tires or clip pedals to flat pedals or vice versa. So I just I think there's a uh, there's a lot of knowledge and fun stories coming from that 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 broad band of time, right? And with you, obviously, you went on to, to the motocross industry and a lot of... You familiar... actually work for a legitimate company. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. We just had a great tour here. You yeah. Know, we got free merchandise. I mean, I feel feel like I'm on GT again. Yeah, you know, this is it's, great. It's, it's professional and we're excited. And like I say, a lot of our listeners are into motocross as well. And you have great history of motocross as well, so... You know, I was telling Jason I'm coming up. He's like, you ain't going there without me, you know. So oh, uh, cool. we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're stoked to, uh, to come up and spend that. I'm making up for missing your wedding. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I still forgive you. Sorry about that. But, uh, you know, just like you were saying, like the, the professionalism, like the stuff that I do right now here, mm. it's all stuff that I've learned in through BMX and just, you know, treating people right and working for the right company and doing the right thing. Like, it's so funny, uh, no matter where you are, that kind of thing translates, you know. And uh, I wouldn't want to work for a company that, that didn't have that integrity. So it's, I feel so blessed and lucky to, to be working for a company like this. It's like, it's seriously like, if there's a big E jigsaw puzzle, like I fit right in here at Yoshimura, you know? So it's clear too. 
it's clear because when we're walking around, you just like so everyone he gave us a tour of the place and we've been here for probably about an hour and a half before we started talking so like he just kept finding corners and parts of the warehouse to take us to and show us like it was it was like you were showing us a house you built and and i love it yeah i'm a geek for all that stuff because cool. I, I can appreciate like and that's another thing i think maybe that's missing with the generation that's out right now they they don't and I'm broad brushing, right? But it doesn't seem like people appreciate how stuff's made. Yeah. It's just, it comes from China or look at my iPhone or whatever, right? And I'm just, I love how, you know, I see the process that we make motorcycle exhaust, which, which are really high-end motorcycle exhaust. But when you look at the process and if something goes wrong, where do you find that failure in the system? All these things, like something getting made is cool. And especially here in California, which... You're not even allowed to breathe here anymore, mm-hmm. and we're making motorcycle exhaust. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it's just real. It's a, anyway. It's I love it. Well, <laughs> yeah, we can tell. It's an pride. old saying, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, There's yeah. pride and ownership, right? Yeah. So you talked about the phone. It's like they don't even really want you to buy the phone. They talk. You go and get a new phone. They talk about how much it costs a month. It's like no, I actually yeah. want to buy one. Yeah. Right. So there's no pride. Why do you want to own it? There's a new one. Yeah. Coming yeah. Next Why year? do you want to buy the song? You can just get a subscription. It's yeah. Like uh, no, I actually want the song. So, so Yoshimura. They own the music. They own the music. They own the rights. Actually, we make the music. You make the music yeah. even better, right? We met your boss. And yeah. Young, young boss as well. Yeah, Yusaku. He's, uh, well, you, you, hey, Jason, you met him last year. At yeah, we rode together. Yeah. He's but good uh, Dale met him for the first time today, and he's just a great, great guy. And he took over the reins of the company about a year and a half. Is, uh, like, started at 18. And uh, he's just uh, such a breath of fresh air for the company, and he's got vision, and it just, fun to work for a guy like that you know and he's all passionate about bikes right bicycles that's new yeah mm-hmm. so he he bought a mountain bike and um he just started riding and we started riding together and um uh he calls me his sensei <laughs> <laughs> so uh i show him what not to do right. <laughs> right that's where it begins yeah and then uh so it's funny how it's evolved though because he's a super small and light guy so i used to be able to climb with him easy and now he just he's so fast going up right. but, but recently what's cool is he um he's so much faster going down and uh and it was really interesting he has no off-road or bmx experience at all and uh it's so crazy how he's progressed on a mountain bike so it's just fun to hang out with him and we talk bmx and mountain bike and parts and, and just all kinds of cool. out on another it's thing. like yeah. it's like a real like a friendship you know yeah it's so cool. not like you're friends with the boss you're friends with a friend right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's cool, cool. right so, on. yeah it's it's a it's a really again i just i wake up in the morning you guys and i seriously pinch myself and i'm like i so love what i do mm-hmm. and i'm like how many people can say that you know like not many. seriously i can't wait to come to work and do stuff mm-hmm. you know and that's what i mean we'll, we'll get into the power light stuff but obviously that you, you saw that through the power light through the team mm-hmm. the way you i've spoke about it before with the podcast and i've told people how you guys traveled as a team no matter if it was a the 7X guy or the Mario Soto or Danny Nelson and, and, and Donny Robinson, man. You guys were the unit, you know? And I think it really, um, yeah, just you know how to, uh, you know, the team spirit thing, you know, and the yeah. passion, you know? So anyway, we'll get into the power light stuff. Maybe we'll start with those early days, Florida, getting into BMX. Yeah, so, I mean, like a lot of guys, like I, I really wanted to race motorcycles, you know? And um, my mom and dad got divorced and that wasn't happening. So I got into BMX. 
and this was in about 1979. So my first race was at Cape Coral BMX when the track opened in April of 79. And uh, that was it. I was, I was like, I love this, I'm hooked. Um, there was so much, um, I remember those early days, there was so much camaraderie at the track. Like mm -hmm. there was so many families and brothers and sisters mm -hmm. there. And it was such a raw thing to where, it sounds so nostalgic, no, but it, man, I, it's, there's so I, much. I feel you on that because I, I was young because I started in 80, but I, I remember that too. It felt like we were all trying to really figure this thing out. And was, we all knew we were part of something that like not many people were. I don't know. It just felt it was it just was special. I, the thing I can – it's yeah. just so much fun. It was special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't perfect. No. But it was so much fun. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, like, like totally like – like the day of school when you knew it was a track night, yeah, yeah, it was all you could think about. Yeah, like Christmas Eve every day. Yes, you know? yes, yeah. <laughs> like As a just kid. waiting for your parent to come home. It's like, dude, the track. Mm -hmm. Like now, yeah, mm -hmm. we have two hours. No, no. Right. So yeah, I, yeah. I grew up in Florida, and uh, my my home track was Cape, and then uh, I started traveling around Sarasota. Then I went to Orlando. Miami, Pompano, like started racing around the state. So, so for those who aren't too familiar with Florida geography, Cape Coral's on which side? Cape, Cape Coral's on the southwest okay. uh, section of Florida. So it's the Gulf side down kind of where Fort Lauderdale is okay. on the opposite coast. Got it. Yep. So, yeah, I, I just, my mom, uh, again, just hats off to my mom. Uh, my brother took me around some, but my mom would take me to the races. That's what she did. She worked wow. as, a, as a waitress and uh, she, we put my bike, bike in the back of her car and we went across the state or uh, there was friends around from Cape Coral that were like, hey, can Biggie, can Eric, mm -hmm. Eric at the time, mm -hmm. can Eric come with you guys? So there was people like the Scruggs or Jeff Wilson or some guys from the bike route, bike shop. Um, I would just jump in their car and we would go to Sarasota and where what? we could go to Pompano or we go to Orlando or Jacksonville. And it was just one of those things where like everybody in the car were going to the track, you know? <laughs> when um, did you become Big E? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking Actually, that. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, little bit, that's a little bit later. That was in 86. Um, okay. TC and I were on tour mm -hmm. and we were driving down the, we were driving, I think we were somewhere in the Midwest somewhere and I was tired and he's, and I said, uh, something happened. He's just called me Big E for some reason. Like Big E, let Big E take the wheel or I don't know how <laughs> it happened. And it just, but he coined that phrase. He called it. me that. All right. And that was in 86. I think we were going to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah, because I think there's people who don't know your name. You're Big E. Dude, I honestly... <laughs> like, I, first name Big, last name E. Right, yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of people that call me Eric, you know? Yeah. It's pretty... It's just one of those things that, that stuck. I mean, seriously, from the day TC started calling me that, like, everybody started calling me Big E, you know? Like, every... It was just... It was easy. Yeah. And that was before, obviously, Big E Smalls or any of these nicknames started. No, right. Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah, so it works. I just, okay. I don't like, you can call me, I, I tell people you can call me anything you want, just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, 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 where you want to go from that, but yeah, um, just started racing around Florida. Um, uh, I wasn't working at the time, so I was still in high school. And it was funny, like, you guys could probably relate to this, but. When there was a high school function, I went BMX racing. Oh, yeah, yeah, Football yeah. game, BMX. So right. I was this outcast in high school. Mm -hmm. that, yes. that guy's just Same a freak. Story. He rides BMX bikes still, you know? Right. And uh, so, yeah, when it came to prom and all this stuff, I was like, I was off at a BMX race. So I wasn't so into high school and all those functions. But um, but I just love BMX. And I mean, and, and you guys can attest to this too. It's like, you know, you, these friends that you meet in, in BMX racing, that's what's so cool. And I, I hope... 
that the, this generation that's racing now, really in any sport, but specifically, obviously, you guys with BMX, is that, man, there's so many friendships that you've made throughout the years that you go to this track and you meet this family and you can stay on their floor. Mm-hmm. Or um, there's, there's just so many stories that, um, that, and I think way back, and it really shaped me into the person that I am today to respect people, respect property, just that, you know, mm-hmm. just being a human being. And, um, and it's just, it was just, just rad. So, um, I guess maybe the next, the biggest thing in my life was in 83, around 83 when I met TC. So he came to uh, Cape Coral with Lenny and Seth, I believe at the time with Pro-Am Clinics. And, uh, he just was this biggest influence in my life. Um, I just thought he was a cool kid. And I don't know what attracted me to him. What, is there an age difference? Uh, he's two years younger. Two years younger. Okay. Yeah. I didn't race him. He was from from Orlando. Mm-hmm. But I respected Lenny and I thought, I don't know what it was, but it was one of those things where like, man, TC's cool. And I think maybe Sean Newberry or something came with him to that clinic. I can't remember. But um, but from that day, we were friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, all of a sudden. Like instant friends. Yeah. yeah. So I want to say that was the the next thing that was big for me was like in 84. Yeah, you guys are like Anthony Kiedis and Flea minus the drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know their history, but... But brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Still. I mean, yeah, honestly. Yeah. So he... Um, I, I bought my first car and I, I remember this story. And this is a funny story tell, I'm telling you, but I had this uh, 1972 Grand Safari Station Wagon. It was the only car that I've ever made Who money makes on. that? It's a Pontiac. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. So it's a 72, and uh, I paid, I went to the auction and paid 200 bucks for it. Good my deal. dad, right? So my dad's like, this is a great first car for you. I'm like, okay, dad. It takes $20 to go down the road, right? The bike's fitted. So anyway, this car was like um, the only car, like I said, I, I ever made money on. I, um, about a couple months or a month or two after I had it, I was going through this parking lot and this lady T-boned me in the rear end of the car. Oh. And insurance gave me 500 bucks to fix it. <laughs> I paid 200 bucks for the car. <laughs> so I, um, the, the rear, their axle was uh, tweaked in the back. So I went to the junkyard and I bought a rear end for it, uh, like 75 mm-hmm. bucks. And I pulled the fender out with some vice grips. And I'm like, dude, it's set, you know? And in uh, that car, so um, that car, I drove to Tennessee to the Murray World Cup with me and this guy named Rick Breeden because mm-hmm. I couldn't go anywhere in that car without somebody paying, helping me pay gas. Yeah, yeah. It was just like this big block uh-huh. 454 motor in it, you know? And, uh, and I, I remember, met, I remember uh, meeting TC there and we were at this Denny's and everybody was freaking out because already at that time we were, um, we were going in and making, squeezing lemon in the water. We got lemonade, put some sugar in there, right? <laughs> and then we would eat the crackers from the soup. I was like, those are free, dude. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're for me. You know? Right. So we were already on this uh, this this uh, budget, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, and learning how to eat on a budget away from home and, and, and all that stuff. And I just remember my mom going, okay, see ya. I'm like, now I look back and I'm thinking like, I drove that car to Nashville, Tennessee. How old were you? When it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have made it out of the county. Yeah. Never mind the Nashville, right? Because yeah, you spent a lot of time. I was 16. Yeah, you spent a lot of time in Florida before you even leave the state. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a six and a half, seven hour drive. To get to Georgia. So you still had like three more states. Yeah. So anyway, there's that's or a funny early story with the with the car and traveling. So you drove to Georgia. I mean sorry, you drove to Tennessee at sixteen? In a car that really may, may or may not have made yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, I you just shouldn't think about that stuff, yeah. you know? It's like if it breaks, I'll fix it. Yeah, free range parenting right there. Yeah. At its finest. 
So just so many fun stories, but um, I just just for the listeners, you know, relating to TC and yeah, how we yeah. how we kind of get together and. And then that same summer, um, TC went on tour, I think, with uh, that guy Rick Breeden and Lenny. And uh, that's when he was doing the Torker thing. Right. And you saw that picture I had earlier yes. with the Torker. That was that same year. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's just, man, just, I just look back on those things. And then, and then in 85, they, uh, Lenny and, and, uh, and TC asked me to go on tour with them. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was already conditioned because of the, well, we can make lemonade and we can have crackers. Right. And, and that's what we did. And we just, uh, I remember going to so many guys' house because all we did was ride, you know. And we would go to uh, a pro's house like Bill Madden or this uh, this guy's house. I remember vividly from from Pittsburgh. And we dude, we would get into town, and we would just go ride. Like we would like, hey, let's go into Pittsburgh. And they're like, you can't go into Pittsburgh. We're like, yeah, we can. <laughs> and we just rode in. Like the locals were like, dude, you can't do that. And we and we just. We went into these guys' local territory and we outrode them. Right. Like, yeah. like, and the same thing with like Bill Madden. Like, we rode all around like Fort Walton Beach, and he's like, "Dude, I've not rode that much in like <laughs> like months or years," you know. Um, so it was just like these really fun times. I think that um, that were just outstanding, and and so many of those memories were shared with TC. You know, like, and I always looked up to him because you know um, I think he told you in his podcast like in '85. And then the other thing about TC, that he, he was never into doing drugs and partying. And that was the thing for me, like in high school, it was probably a really formative thing for me at that time because, you know, there's that, that pull to, to be with the in crowd. Well, TC was not that in crowd. We were definitely the, the idiots. Mm-hmm. You know? Like um, I remember going to parties in high school and acting like an idiot. Um, just I'd bring Gatorade. Right. People were like, hey, you want a beer? I'm like, no, I'm already drunk on Gatorade, you know? <laughs> I was that guy. And that's the same thing that TC was. We were that, that stupid crowd. So early on, he formed that influence for me. And, um, and um, when his dad crashed in the plane, and he didn't, I listened to the podcast, he didn't talk about this, but one of the things the doctors asked TC right away is like, hey, does your dad drink? Mm, I remember, I was waiting for him to bring that up when you yeah, talked about Yeah, and he's that. like, no. And the doctor said, no. Honestly, like drink, like even like once a week or whatever. And he's like, no, my dad doesn't drink at all. He's like, good, because he's probably, he's, if, he, if he did, he'd probably be dead by now. Because his liver and his internals are so infect, affected by the crash mm-hmm. that if they were, you know, if he, he had abused his body right. in any way. Probably. So that's when the whole ET thing yeah. started. And I'm like, dude, let's, let's try to influence kids for the good. I mean, there's so much bad stuff out there. Let's really try to, to you know, whoever's going to look up to us like idiots, whatever. <laughs> let's try to, let's try to like say you don't need to fit into that in crowd. That let's, was me. You know, that was me. Right. Was Straight you, up. Was like, you, because of you, uh, yeah. Like you guys, yeah, I remember I was very, was ET I fan? was totally straight edge in high school and my brother was not. Yeah. <laughs> but there, <laughs> he was there a rough was, edge. Right. right. But no, I mean, it was like, even, it was like, yeah, j- like, to where my friends were like even protecting me, like no, they're drinking over there. It's like, well, I, I still want to hang out. Like, yeah, yeah. But no, well, but, but it was, that, but it yeah. was always because yeah. like TC and Big E, they they really just made it like not only just okay, but like aspirational. Yeah, cool. I appreciate that. That's what yeah. was cool. some of the things you made with E Team? Like, I know I've seen some hats. Yeah, and so I just t-shirts. We, um, I Gork early on when uh, when I knew Gork when he came to Zellwood, he was just a fan of what we did because he. I, he saw something obviously that somebody else didn't and he liked to pump us up on the East Coast and he liked what we were doing with the E-Team thing. He saw it in BMX action, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. 
So he helped me. He like put little ads in the back of BMX Action or something, or and he would. We created this uh, post office box, and dude, I started getting letters from kids. <laughs> dude, this sounds like crazy, but oh, I started getting letters from these kids going, "Man, you guys are. I can't. I'm so on board with what you're like, straight edge and all this stuff." And I'm like, "Wow, this is really cool. How we're like, even if it's one letter, yeah. But dude, yeah. I still have them in my garage. Yeah. I still kept a bunch of them. Where I'm like, so for those who don't know. Magazines back in the '80s and '90s was like Instagram is, but not every day or every five seconds. It was like once a month. You had to wait. <laughs> <laughs> but that was super cool. The um, yeah, so yeah. Like just, was... just to answer your question. Um, so Gort put that thing in the back of BMX Action. This is probably towards '88, and I started making some hats and stickers, and I came out with a zine, a little E Team mm-hmm. zine, and. Uh, I only did that maybe four or five times or something, but, um, and I made stickers and, uh, and we adopted Eric group into the E team. Right. And that was when I actually yeah, have, yeah. I have an application that TC sent me. It was your top pro. And one of the questions yeah. on, does your name start with E? Yeah. Right. And then after it said, it's okay. It doesn't matter if it does or not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Funny. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, man, that was fun stuff. But yeah, the E team was, you know, that, that, you know, those early formative years is so important to like, Okay, I'm standing for this. Mm-hmm. I'm not compromising. Mm-hmm. And that I, I just, I mean, TC came along as a friend in my life. And he doesn't realize to this day, I'm sure he doesn't. He knows it, but he doesn't realize it probably. How much influence he had on me and Cool Dad had at that point for him, like, you know what? It's important to live a clean life, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I just, and, and, and as you get older, you see, like, man, that, that pays dividends, you mm-hmm. know? It just keeps you out of trouble. It keeps you on a on a focus, and um, yeah, and it keeps the the riff raff away, you know. And, and you start to be able to smell people like that. Like that guy's not the good guy to be with. I mm-hmm. know, you know. So, and it, it translated in, in all the way through my career and life, and dealing with picking riders to picking people you want to have relationships with to all that, you know. So yeah, again, just. It's like a whole value set that you didn't even realize you were creating. Yeah. I mean, guys, seriously, like who's ever listening to this? If you're young, get with good people because it's going to set a standard for your life all the way through. And it sounds corny or cliche, but it's completely true. Right? Jay, you know, look what's happened in your career and what you've been able to accomplish because you surround yourself with people that are good people yeah. and have integrity. Yeah. Right? So anyway, enough of that. So no. yeah, super cool. I say we were in England reading BMX action, and we knew what the E team was. Yeah, and, oh, that's know, cool. That's we cool. Met you guys. You know, we already kind of by the time we did meet you guys, we were already. Oh my god, this E team guy. Yeah, you know? dude, so, it's so yeah. cool. like you say that, man. Yeah. Like I have no but, idea that right. I was influencing right. in England. Right, right. Oh, you were absolutely. an influencer yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and they had to wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had to wait to be influenced. Right. Your zine was like a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What uh, did you, uh, you know, big for, for me looking in, and I, I touched on it on um, TC's podcast, was though, even though I wasn't there, but we got to see it, was the World Championships in Orlando. Oh, was you there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was sweating like everybody else. So you was already GT then? Or uh, not no, well, no, at that time I was... Um, Magoo was a team manager then, I think. 87? 87. 87. I would have been riding for Cyclecraft. Okay. Yep. On the verge of going to California, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that race in Orlando was crazy because 
we had been Orlando locals at that time. Mm-hmm. CeCe's forever lived there, but I had moved up um, from Fort Myers up to um, Orlando. We, we lived together up there. And, uh, and we knew that the, the worlds were coming there and the big starting gate and the 10, guy, the ten guys on the gate. And uh, well, it, it was just so crazy right, that so, the world was coming to our home track. So before people ruin, get history wrong, it was a 10-man gate, but they raced with eight. But, yes. but, but in practice, they would put 10 guys on the gate. That's how wide the gate yeah, is yeah. in the and, first straight. Yes, yep. agreed. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, the, the Worlds in 87 was crazy. And obviously, a lot of the local Orlando guys were pegged to do good. I think Lanthorn got fourth in pro. Third. 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 Yeah. 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 So there you go. Yeah. Shout out to Lanthorn. Yeah. Sparky's crew. Yep. GL. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and, you know, I, and just being in Fort Myers, which we called Fort Misery <laughs> because it was like all the cool stuff was happening in Orlando right. or in Fort Lauderdale, you know? So I'm like, I, I want to go be where those guys are. TC, Lanthorn, Aglio, all these, yeah. these Orlando guys that were hip, not only fast racers and kind of really influencing a lot of the stuff that was happening in the state, but they were hip too. They were cool. They listened to cool music, yeah, yeah. you know? I feel like that world was like... Like the that was like the kind of like the first worlds that like you know kind of just like really hit like 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 it was like a true world like there yeah. was no mm-hmm. it wasn't like just these guys in Europe and a few U.S. guys it was like legitimately oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the first big world ever, in my opinion no actually yeah for, I mean the first big one in Europe was '83 Slag Iron and then the second one was the year before which was Slough in London that's where. Everybody from Europe was there, and then select guys from the US. Obviously, TC was out yeah. there, and obviously the pros came out. But I think that was the first time Europe like went in bulk to, yeah. to race right. against yeah. the Americans. Right. You know, anyway. so it was the first yeah. big heads up with everybody. Right. I think you know. So right, that was like, yeah, yeah. who's really going to do what? Against I wasn't these there, but I feel like I was there. That we see, yeah, yeah everybody in the and magazines. I, raced, I remember racing Orlando, uh, War of the Stars yeah. in 1986, and that's back when they went Sarasota one day. Orlando, Orlando the next, next. Yep. Um, but I remember them talking like hyping the worlds up then that mm-hmm. it's coming next year and they had somebody so you know, I mean being yeah. being in Orlando and a local Orlando the, the scene was getting so big because the worlds are coming there yeah, right? so yeah. everybody went to practice at Orlando right, right? right. Um, and it's central in the state it's easy to get to and uh, I just remember like when the worlds finally got there like I didn't even recognize the track dude with the banners right, and the people right and the other thing I remember you're is like, how come I can't park it was the place? hottest day of my life ever <laughs> like it is you're in August the middle of August in, in the central Florida in the humidity it's probably 90 I mean you do a lap and you're just like, like 110 probably easy you can't even see because it's so it's like, humid it's you like know? getting out of the shower when you cross the finish line dude so bad so that was a that was a, an amazing time for sure so then what uh, you guys made your way out to California yeah, so um, TC talked about it a little bit in this podcast, but um, yeah, he he had some success. He went out, he came out, I think, for an ABA race in Bakersfield or Lemoore, and uh, I think that was on Murray or Cyclecraft. And then he came out and did the Worlds that year in Irvine. And then he came. We came back. Seriously, this is kind of exactly how it went down. He came back from. Uh, we came back from the Christmas Classic, and he's like, "We got to go to California." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> What are, we, what are you talking about? I think, like, I think we've all said that. If we're gonna, yeah, yeah. If we're going to be successful in the sport, we got to go. I'm, I'm going. And I'm like, what What am I going to do? And he's like, you're coming with me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, dude, like we packed my Toyota truck up full of stuff and his his little gold nuggets. Sprinter. Everywhere. Yeah. The sprint. 
Chevy Sprint? The Sprint, yeah. And, uh, and we packed everything up, and I'm like, I don't have money. And he's like, let's go. And I ran out of money because I worked at a nursery in Zellwood uh-huh. to, to pay for my racing. Uh-huh. And then like uh, I ran out of nursery. money in, in Phoenix. I'm like, dude, I'm out of money. He's like, here's 300 bucks. Just pay me back whenever, right? And that got me to California, and I got – Gork said, come and stay on our couch, you know? Tell, and, us about, tell us about who was in that house. Yeah. That was pretty much uh, – well, now it's infamous, right? But mm. I got to stay on the couch with uh, – Gork just – hey, stay on the couch. You can stay here for as long as you want because um, he just knew me from, you know, obviously the Zellwood mm-hmm. thing, and he's just a big fan. And just – Biggie's a good guy. He's staying on the couch. Right. So in that house was uh, Spike Jones, which obviously <laughs> is famous, but not then, right? Right, right. Um, which is another story I'll tell you. It's funny in a second. But uh, so Spike Jones, Mark Lumen, which Lou from yeah. Freestyle, yeah. and then Andy Jenkins all lived in that house. Wow. So wow. there was so many famous dudes, <laughs> not famous, but big high end yeah, dudes like yeah. Craig Grosso would come through there, yeah. and like R.L. Osborne. All these guys would like that was a like kind of a hub. And all you needed to do was go across the street and hop over this wall, and there's Wizard Publications. Yeah, it was like right you right. walked to work, right? right. Um, but one of the things that was cool, Wizard Publications was BMX Action okay. Freestyle Magazine. Right. Um, so uh, one of the things I remember about being there um, when I when I lived there was uh, Spike Jones got a video camera, and he started making these things. And I, I don't know if it's on on YouTube or not, but there was this. He made this film called The Attack of the Porcelain Armadillo, <laughs> and uh, and it was just seriously just like turning the camera on and off when. There's no edits. That's right. what the edit was, right? right? And uh, it was classic. So we started making films. Like me and Chris Muller made uh, The Search for Sewell. Mm, I, I forgot. Seen, mm, I remember, told I remember hearing about, about, about that one. Yeah, yeah. So we made that. And, uh, and I, me, it was me. It was pretty much me and uh, Chris Muller and Paul Green was the main wow. three guys that, in The Search for Sewell. And so we just got the idea from The Search for Animal Chin from the skate Skating, yeah, stuff, yeah. you know? So it was just so it was the same same theme as like the way Spike was doing it, right? right? Mm-hmm. But that was one of the things I really remember about being there too. Is, is just Spike bought a really expensive video camera, a hand a hand cam. It was when they went from big VHS to small. Yeah, smaller I can't one. think of a more creative bunch, dude. Look what they went on to do. And I mean, skateboarding, but a, like and, just and, from yeah. a creativity standpoint, yeah. though, that's the that's the crazy part. Like you know, you read these books like. Um, outliers and it talks about like this perfect confluence of events that happens and you know just the stars lined and, up mm. right like Steve Jobs Bill Gates that kind of thing and yeah. it's like but that's one of these stories right oh, yeah. now that you're yeah. actually getting it's like that yeah. will like never happen again did them probably, guys go from BMX action probably in the late 80s and straight to girl skateboards no so um, when I think BMX actually, actually turned into Go. Right, yeah. And then when it turned into Early Go, 90s. I think that's when they started Dirt Magazine, okay. uh, Lou and Andy. Right. And I forgot, I think it was Teen, I can't remember the publisher that did that magazine, but it, it was Dirt and they had all kinds of different stuff and it was kind of like more of an action now, early 80s kind of hipster magazine. Right. And that lasted for maybe a year or two and then uh, it disbanded. I, want, I don't remember if Spike was there or not. I don't think so. Um, but but those two guys went on to do that dirt and um, Gork obviously did go mm-hmm. the magazine and then the whole thing kind of went kaput and it was just BMX plus yeah but then that's when them guys kind of got out of BMX and went went skate yeah. right skateboarding yeah, yeah. yeah. so exactly. then obviously went on to the guys that don't know they are Google them 
check them out because some guys did amazing things in skateboarding continue to, I think. Right? Well, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. The, well, I, Andy's involved with Girl, I think, yeah. and he also mm-hmm. does incredible art. And Mark, uh, Mark Lumen is a, is a, he runs an, I think he runs or he's part of a really big advertising agency out of mm-hmm. Portland mm-hmm. that do some really cool stuff with a lot of different brands. Actually, they came here a few years ago and Lou talked to me about doing some stuff for Yoshimura. I'm like, dude, I would love that. Mm-hmm. But we were just not, <laughs> we're not that we're not that's quite that shelf, right. <laughs> you know. And he's like, "Oh no, we can help you in other ways." I'm like, "Dude, I feel honored that you're even asking to right. try to help us, right?" <laughs> so yeah, it was just uh, it was cool to see Lou. So what year was that that you you were on Gork's couch? That was 1988. We moved. Uh, I remember we we pulled into California January 1st, 1988. It was oh, so it was Christmas Classic '87 that you were saying yes. that. Wow. Yep. I think the so, Beastie Boy albums dropped around then too. Uh, Maybe the Beastie Boy album was in '86 because I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember very vividly traveling to a Houston NBL race and Termite Hudson, Bernard Gant, all those guys were blasting yeah. Funky Monkey mm. until it just <laughs> brass, wore the brass season. Monkey. Yeah, yeah, brass, sorry. Yeah, the war that right. came out. Dude. But that was I even in, in either Go or BMX Action. There was even articles on, on the Beastie Boys and yeah. stuff on that yeah. kind of stuff, you know. So, and funny, like yeah. later on, Spike went to do videos. And right, stuff. yeah, no, yeah. That's great. That's great. It's, it's amazing. So the, so what was that scene like? Well, what, was there any culture shock or was it just like uh, you got oh, in California dude. like this is where yeah, everything was different. I'm home. What was really good is I was really prepared to live on my own and eat out of a trash can if I needed <laughs> to. But thankfully I didn't need to. So when I... When I came here, um, I maybe it was three, three or four weeks and I got a job. It wasn't even that long. It was maybe two weeks. I got a job at SBS, Sale Bike Supply. Mm-hmm. And the guy that was running that place was Steve Potts. And he was famous for the Potts Mod. He was yeah. in BMX. And yeah. I think early on here, he owned and ran the Bicycle Source, mm-hmm. which is a big That's a shop, shop in Torrance, in Lomita, yeah. Yeah. Torrance area. Okay, so SBS, which is... That was Redline had become SBS. Well, SBS was the distributor. The for distributor Redline. for Redline, but they ended up buying so, it. But but I didn't know. It. That's funny because we were talking earlier before we started recording, and I said, "Yeah, didn't you ride for Redline?" Because I remember there was a time where you had a lot of coverage in a in a Redline kit. Yeah, and I remember back in the day thinking that guy's Redline uniform looks way better than. Well, Billy's or whomever it was. Let <laughs> me like, tell you a story because that that's thing funny. Looks so much better. I so appreciate that because here's my red line ride. I asked Steve Potts if I could get a deal on a frame, <laughs> and he gave me a deal on a frame. And I um, went to Wizard Publications, and because RL wrote for Redline for all those yeah. years, there was all these Redline heat transfers, um, and I made my own jersey. It looked really good. Thanks, dude. Yeah, like <laughs> I think I'm maybe like, if I would have went to school for it and, be, and being able to apply myself. Okay. I might have been able to be some kind of a designer, maybe not good, but I have a, a little bit of a vein for you knowing what stuff looks right. good. Like you definitely have an eye for it. Now that's interesting. Okay, so the Redline thing—you're working for SBS that distributed Redline, and so that just kind of was like. So a my Redline ride was, "Hey, Biggie, here's a deal on a frame." <laughs> Got it. And what was cool about that year is uh, I went on tour with TC and Danny Milwe and the Auburn Toaster, mm-hmm. and Todd Huffman was like. I don't know why he let me go on tour with those guys. And I basically ran the tour while TC and Milwee did the, the clinic and the teaching yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And I kind of did the behind the scenes, like, okay, we're driving here. We're going, I was kind of like the, the, uh, the director and behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah. Right. So I don't know why he let me, but Todd Huffman let me ride that red line when I should have been on an Auburn, Auburn tour. Right. 
Yeah. So anyway, that was really cool, Huff. Thank you, Huffman. <laughs> Todd. <laughs> is that back when, when Millie had... I think one of I think Millie had like flames painted on his yes, neck. Yes, and he had the tachometer. And, and the tachometer, and then obviously the neck on the, on the yep. visor. And yep. then I think... What was TC's frame? He had a special custom paint too, but I can't remember if it was like... Oh, it was like a ghost ghosted purple or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyways. Cool. The toaster. That's a that would be the Mitsubishi van and it was a cab over design. Yeah. And cab over for those who don't know is when you're sitting basically on top of the front wheel. Yes. Yep. <laughs> but I remember the people just look love the look of that thing. I love so that. Futuristic. I did a, I did a summer in that van. But that's when it was a couple years old already. Yeah, yeah, it was beat then. But, but the tape player still worked. <laughs> So yeah, I did. I did that tour in '88 okay. with TC and Millie, and then the following year, I did the tour with Robbie Mor- Robbie Miranda. Morales. Robbie Morales came on on the team. Yeah, he was a 16x, 15x kid out of New York. Yeah, Velocity, Auburn. and just never been away from home. Yeah. And his mom and dad, and that was TC alluded to that in his yeah. podcast. But he was uh, he was green. So was you red. so you got to Cali, and you basically plugged right into the to everything work riding. It was like did. seamless. Fight or flight, whatever they call it, right? Like, when did you actually start paying rent? Um, when Spike Jones kicked me off the couch about a month and a half in, he's like, "Biggie, That's not too bad. no." Here's what he said. Actually, Spike told me this. He's like, "Biggie, you got a job now. You need to go get a place to live." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Spike, all you do is sit here and eat cereal, dude. Like, who are you? You're not the boss of this mm-hmm. house." Um, so it was pretty funny. So that gave me the unction to. Go and get a place, and I lived with uh, Seppi, Seppi Mays. Seppi Mays. Which Seppi worked at, at Seattle Mike Supply at okay. the time. Okay, I didn't yep. know that. Was he, was he still riding? I feel like he was still riding. He wasn't riding that much. No, he had a really he cool very, VW like, he van. He was very like 85, 86. Yeah, right. okay. CW. Yeah. But he had Club a VW Homeboy. van that Club Homeboy stickered the whole mm-hmm. van. Do you remember that? Yeah. I remember when he drove his van over there, and they, they put like 6,500 stickers or something. It's basically... Wallpapered his whole van with Club Homeway stickers. I think I might have seen the picture. It was in an ad or something. Yeah, it was a Club, Club Homeway ad. Okay, that's when I would have, would have seen it then. When did, um, how was your race now? Was you doing racing? You just racing a pro, probably uh, by so I turned, right? I turned pro in 86, middle 86, and that was just like an okay B pro. That's what they called it. In NBL, it was B pro, A pro, and in ABA, it was A pro, double A pro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, was a, I was a mid packer. I'd make some mains and make some money. Um, I remember very vividly, uh, I won a race in Waterford Oaks and, uh, this is before they had cameras at the finish line <laughs> and dude, I'm not sure everybody's standing there like, dude, yeah, you won it. And I'm like, I, I you know how you know when you, you win, you know, all the scores scored the guy right next to me to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like, because, because, the, score, because, because, because the scores are standing like 10, like 10 feet. Yeah. That's the what, that was they're the like, problem. They're like looking at you coming. They're looking. Well, they weren't at looking at me. They were right. looking at him. Well, what the scores would do? They would just look at up at the out of the last corner. Whoever's kind of the last corner. Yeah. <laughs> they just boom, boom, boom. They would write it like that, and so yep. and then they would like give, like hand off the piece of papers. Yeah. That each of them wrote on. Yeah. And then they'd send it into the to the you know poor Polly and Irma, but give it to Polly and Irma. Right. Yeah. And then it's like they had to like make sense of the chicken scratch, but the yeah. in the order, and then. But I was I was so mad so at that race, won. dude, because oh, I won a B pro race at Waterford Oaks, and they didn't give it to me. Ugh. I'm like, I could use that money. Anyway, that's a, that's a, that's an NBL thing, though. I was I was. Did a, you know John Purse and I tied at a race one time because of the camera wasn't on? How many times did that happen, though? That happened that year. A lot. It happened a lot, dude. 
<laughs> but anyway, I was, going back to my racing, I was okay. I remember another cool story is um, I was at um, Cool Tool Raceway in, yeah, in New, York. New York. And uh, it was one of my um, – I got second at that race. And I remember Travis Chipra is coming up to me and going, dude, you are such a good rider. And I'm like, shut up. He's like, dude, you can, you can win this race. Mm-hmm. You can win here. And I'm like, you think so? He's like, dude, I, I completely know it. And I got second at that race. And I remember – I remember where I was standing on the side of that fence when Travis told me that. Just how much when somebody believes in you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Who beat you? uh, I don't even remember. Honestly, I don't. But I was – I felt like I won. Because it was like one of those things like the power of somebody believing in you. You know, seeing what you could do and going, you could do it. Yeah. Anyway, I that was, was a good track. It was always smooth. It yes. was a good track, and that triple something into the last. What corner. about the uphill last straightaway? It felt uphill <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, I remember you jumped out of the last yeah. turn and went. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's a drag race. Yeah, my family and I we used to always go to Niagara Falls after that race. Oh, right that's cool. The anyway. You guys connected? What? When did you guys connect? No, I met. I met Big E pretty much. Like I knew of him, obviously, because right. I was a kid looking at the magazine. But I, I think we like a fit. when I got on Auburn, then yeah. it was like so. When did boom. Me, me, and we hit it off right away. We were talking about you used Auburn ninety two, ninety three. I was on Auburn. Was it ninety one? I was sixteen, and I just finished my junior year of high school. So like that summer, okay, like so literally, yeah. I had nothing GT or Auburn. TC showed up. Did to you my, ride for LNS or something? What'd yeah, you? I went from LNS, which was like kind of boss yeah. light. Um, to Auburn. Okay. Because uh, Anthony Reyes was on LNS too. It was that same, I think that same yes. transition. Because he went to GT. He went to GT. And yeah. Carlo was so sad when I told him. He's like, man, they always take my riders. Yeah. I felt bad for him. But um, <laughs> anyways, yeah, they just showed up. At, TC showed up my house with in the toaster. And like everything. Like I had a bike I had never ridden. A uniform I would never worn. Just everything. Just like, ah, this is how it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was good. And then, then we linked up with... The rest of the crew, because Auburn was kind of on its own little summer tour. Right. But then we would obviously at the races, the Yellow Submarine would be there, and Big E was on tour. But so when, when uh, so, so we hung out a lot in at the races, we saw each other all the time. But we hung out in that, Summerfest, France. Yes. So yeah, so that was the summer of ninety one, ninety one with the Big Yellow Submarine. Yeah. So just to go back a little bit, so I worked for Seattle Bike Supply in nineteen eighty eight. In 1989, um, I moved out to hang out with TC in his house, and I didn't work at Seattle Bike Supply anymore. I think I quit the beginning of 89 or something. And uh, Todd Huffman hired me at Moore Distributing, which is the company that he had, and he distributed Odyssey and Auburn and a couple other brands. So I made money building jive plates. Okay. So mm. we were kind of the U.S. connection for jives. Yeah, because so our plastic company yeah, is Will. Yeah. Yep. Who and so I actually Will, made, bent those plates. Okay. I bent those plates, riveted them. I made them here, yeah. and then packaged them with their. Pro, you oh, know, I see. Hand. I didn't know that. Jive yeah. was uh, guys from Ireland. Will Smith. It was. Oh, uh, that uh, stuff looked good, man. You know, it was Jive Five. That yeah. Clive Gosling was involved a little yeah. bit, and then there's a couple of the guys from from Ireland. I feel like Biggie used to wear rock a Jive jersey too. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I know you. So I wrote it. So again, the the. I rode with Jive Handles and I was in Jive, I got, I was in one or two Jive Handles yeah, ads. There we go. Yeah. Which that company was like four doors down from Wizard. And they had the, they had that spring. That was the squirrely thing. The squirrely thing. thing yeah. And they were Swirly super thing. thin, really good drawing. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, so I was making uh, plates and more distributing and uh, Todd had moved more distributing out to Lake Elsinore 
And so I would drive from Moreno Valley to Lake Elsinore to work. And then he got a job at GT and got basically dissolved more distributing because obviously in the story of him getting, um, coming into GT. And then, so when he was there, he's like, Biggie, you need to come over here and work at GT. <laughs> and you could be the marketing guy to run the summer tour and do this and that other thing. So uh, at that time I had turned a pro and I'm like, well, I'm definitely not going to make a living in double A pro. I, mean, I, I, didn't, I said A pro, double A pro. So I might as well work for GT, right? Might so, as well. That must have been awesome now that you worked at oh, GT. Oh, dude, I started yeah, in yeah. December of 1989 working at GT. All right. So TC called. Yeah. <laughs> TC that, was, called. that was timing. Huh? That was perfect. But I think we were on 89, GT. Yep, I got hired in uh, 1989, at uh, December of 1989, the GT. Just I remember I got hired and went right to the Christmas party. Of course. <laughs> That's perfect. But I remember interviewing, Todd knew me from just my past and just mm -hmm. being with TC, he knew, uh, he wanted me on board. But I went and interviewed with Richard and uh, the second I sat down with him, he's like, you're going to cut your hair? I'm like, what? If I need to, I will. He's like, I think it'd be a good idea. Nice. Okay, I'll cut my hair. <laughs> So I went and got a haircut, and then I got professional, right, at GT. So, yeah. And then uh, we started right away planning, buying this big truck and going on tour. And uh, that truck was... The dually. Yep, the dually and the 48-foot-long fifth wheel. And you were... <laughs> we were looking at pictures earlier, and you were saying it was probably illegal. Oh, it was. What it wasn't probably. <laughs> it was illegal. Actually, what made it illegal? I don't know uh, anything about, like... Uh, Pulling a truck, like what the rules are with that. Uh, so I basically, it wasn't a diesel, it was gas. Okay. And so I had 100 gallons of fuel in the back of the cab. Oh, Not that that was illegal, you still it was, did it, but it was like, rigged. can you be more dangerous yeah, yeah, yeah. than carrying 100 gallons of... Yeah. And then there was two 20-gallon tanks that it fed into. Mm -hmm. So like I could just keep going because it used so much gas. Wow. Like if it didn't have that big tank in the I just back, assumed it was diesel. I would seriously go an hour and pull over for gas. I just assumed it was diesel. No, it was gas. If it was diesel, it would have ran but off. At least, but gas was like a dollar a gallon back then. I don't know why we bought a gas Thule, but okay. we did. And then how long was the trailer? <laughs> 48 feet from the gooseneck to the beer. So it was like a 60 it was It was illegally long. Wow. And super slow. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was incredible driving that thing. So... I mean, I would go through way stations and they're like, you need a permit? No, you don't. And then, because obviously we had the RV in the front of it. Yeah. Um, but man, that was, you know, when we had that, like Supercross didn't even have semis at that time. Right. And here we come, GT rolling in. <laughs> You're coming for, off of L&S right. with Carlo, <laughs> like having a beat up old van. van. And here comes a 60 foot long yellow banana <laughs> GT taking over BMX. So BMX was struggling at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. GT. We're going to carry this sport on our back, right? Right. And so we bought this big thing and we're like, Biggie, your summer tour just got steroids all over yeah. it. And, right? and, and you're not only going to carry the sport on your back, you're going to buy Wahoos for everyone at Cold Canyon. Oh, dude. That was the first time I ever had fish tacos. I'm like, what's Wahoos? What's yeah. Wahoos? Yeah, yeah. Wahoos was brand new. Only one store back then. Yeah. Yep. But, man, that was a groundbreaking, you know. And, and uh, we put that, you know, in the back of half of that thing. It was like a GT showroom. Yeah. Frames yeah. and pedals and a showcase. That I and remember. And I do remember the RV. Something today, which would still be yeah. relevant. And, yeah. I mean, isn't you know, that what yeah. Jason Carnes does? does? Or I remember Redline at one he time. He did at some point. He's not with Redline now, but he did. Yeah. I mean, they did do they that. They did that same yeah, concept, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Bring, bring a display but they, and, but they brought yeah. the display out. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So 
This and I remember too, just this is another thing that at that very point in time, um, we went to this company called Warner Tents and they had this 20 by 20 tent. That's Dude, right, the big white. We had to import them from Canada because nobody in the States had those. And now everybody has that canopy. Yeah. And we ordered it with GT. Remember it was blue with the yeah. GT logos on it? That was, yeah, it was almost like a circus We had tent. two of them. It was like a circus We tent. had two of those and that big giant. It like. That was amazing. But I remember going on tour, driving that thing across the country. And, man, we would be going 25 miles an hour up some of these <laughs> steep grades. The cool. And the, the truck was just like. <laughs> and you could watch this gas gauge just dude. go down. It was I remember the coolest part about that tour. or You know, because I was on the fringe of it because we, we were on. TC and I were doing our own thing on Auburn. And Nige. Nige. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was like 23. I was 16. And Nige was like 10. We were on the road. We were all young. Also, dude. So anyways, I was, I was doing this. I think I was. What was I? Probably. 23. Anyway. There's no planning, parents. There's no parents. That I was would send planning their children. and organizing summer tours. I was driving this huge responsibility of this thing. Yeah. I remember the first time we took it out, we went to Stockton. That picture of Charlie Davidson with yes. the model of him. That's Stockton. Yeah. I remember driving to Stockton on the way home. The axle fell off of it. <laughs> and Hubman was in the truck with me. And I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> what do you get this yeah. fixed? Yeah. But, the but, cool, but the cool part was because there was GT, Robinson... I can't remember when Powerlight got Power on. Powerlight came like on uh, GT um, in 1991. So, yeah. So, so, that was part. So, Chuck. But it was Chuck. Um, and, and Auburn. But, like, between just Auburn. I mean, sorry. Between Robinson and GT and all the kids and the pros, it was pretty cool to see who rotated in and out yeah. during each weekend. That yeah. was the cool part. Yeah. We rotated guys in and out just to keep everybody fresh. Yeah. So nobody, nobody had to go C- on three months of summer tour. C- Cully wasn't too fresh though. <laughs> Cully didn't like it. Cully. it. Cully was Cully. He still is Cully. I love <laughs> There's only one Cully. That's the first time I've seen Biggie angry. But I, I think that might have been the last time. That might have been. Right, right, right. Anyway. It was good. Who was, uh, you know, GT's always had a dream team, but I'm thinking right then and then would have been Justin Green. Yeah, Gary, Justin Green, Gary Ellis, Milham. obviously. Milham was on the team. Uh, Inhi Lee. Inhi, yeah. Um, Mark Luna. Luna was on the team. Yeah, that was... That Danny was on GT. He got put on he was GT. On, I think he was on He Robinson. got put on GT... Before, right before the Grands of that year, ABA Grands. Yeah, I don't remember the timeline in GT and Danny. Yeah, there was but a I want to say that in 90, he was on Robinson. Right, easily. Yeah. Easily, yeah. yeah. Tell us about uh, Powerline. Yeah, so um, just a, a, a real quick backstory because I know this is probably getting long. But um, I worked for GT doing that summer tour in the Yellow Submarine uh, in 90 and 91. And I remember the summer in 91. That's when we went to the Gulf War. And I remember just driving this big gas guzzling thing around. And we're like, oh, we're at war. This is pretty crazy. <laughs> but in, and in 93, we scaled back. We're like, it's too much. We bought the box fan. Right. The big, remember the WD-40 on the yeah, side of it? it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we made the video motion theater. And yes. we made videos. And we played them in the back of this thing. We were like, hey, between motos, let's have these place for kids to hang out. Is that when PD was kind of coming in then as P- well? Pete Dulewski was coming in at that point. I feel like yeah. Brian Fell was part of that thing. At- Not yet. Not at 93. No, no was I was on... 90s. That was like mid to late 90s where Brian... Uh, that was yeah. GT Florida. Yeah, 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 ye
So, uh, so we did that 93 summer tour. It was so much easier out of that box fan. And we had we we made our own video and we mm-hmm. played it and we made our own commercials and we played in the back of that thing and that was right about the time that crank was starting. Mm-hmm. Um, we started to push on the TV and side. And you start a lot in the crank. I'm going to put some of the footage alongside this this interview. But I mean, you was in the commercials. You was it's part funny of people the show. people are like those. Like, you know what? You should have been an actor. I'm like, yeah, I was. You really yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah the Gary, right you know, the Gary uh, Orange Y video, the pizza video with Volker, dude. Yeah, I mean. And there, there's um, there's one of them that that's not on that reel, that's out there. Pretty much, there's one that we did dirt jumps with. So we went out in the middle of Colton out out there, mm-hmm. and we built this dirt jump section. And then we built we borrowed this guy's tractor and said we were, I was this big angry guy in the tractor, Our and I guy. bulldozed these guys' jobs. Uh, it was anyway. That one, no one ever that didn't make it. it. It made it. It just it wasn't the popular one. Oh. You know? But we yeah. spent enough time and money doing it. The one it. where you were the reporter running around the track after Gary, that was popular. The pizza one, I think, is probably the most iconic. Yeah. Yeah. The Gary, yeah. Yeah, we did it at uh, Twin Palms. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Oh, yeah, 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 you yeah, were yeah. in that yeah. one. I was in that one, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yeah. that's right. That was... That everybody was thinks I did that backflip. I'm like, right. that was TL. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny how you can make somebody look like a star. Yeah. Right? Thanks, TL. Yeah. <laughs> but... uh yeah, just they had those times. Anyway, just going back, the, the Video Motion Theater, we had the videos going. And then in 94, uh, Jack Doherty was running the Powerlight team. It, yeah. it got to be, yeah. you know, we were the first guys making aluminum frames. Right. Again, super light. Yeah. I mean, Titan did Titans, titanium stuff. and There was some other stuff, but we blew aluminum up wide open again because aluminum was pretty popular in the early, late 70s, early 80s with Race Inc. Mm-hmm. And then we hired a guy named Gilbert Axt, which made Race Inc. He was Race Inc. Oh, we hired okay, him. Cool. And then we started making um, the Powerlight aluminum, the junior stuff. Yeah. And the bigger bikes were Chromali, the P61 right. stuff that Char- Chuck Townsend rode. Um, so anyway, um, Powerlight was this kind of offshoot that was kind of ran out of Arizona mm-hmm. with Jack Doherty, Heather Bruns. Yeah, the uh, Fuentes family. Yeah, yes. I remember that team. Yeah, so... Um, Tied up and called me in. I think it was Christmas in 94. I want to say it was around there. Somewhere around the end of 94 and said, hey, we want you to run the Powerlight thing. And I'm like, dude, I'm all about it. I'm so pumped. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, something in my gut said, this is the next step to doing something cool at GT, you know? And I remember talking to Richard about it. He's like, this is what we want to do. We want to make Powerlight that, you know, another big, hard brand. Um, so I just... Well, what am I inheriting here? You know, yeah, I've got this team, like maybe some guys I want to have, and teams go some guys I don't. Um, so, who stayed on the team was uh, Dwight Hardy was on the team, yeah, Heather Bruns and Brandon uh, Meadows, yeah, those are the three. And Danny, Danny Meadows, and Danny, yeah. and Danny. I want to say maybe I can't remember if Corky Gainsford. That sounds about right. And I feel like Nelly was the pro. Danny Nelson was the pro. Nice. Because he had just turned... Cause Maybe he was. He was, he was, because that was his rookie year. I raced Danny in a pro in Reno. And he, like... His and he, 93-ish, he was won, already That's power. right. Yeah, You're yeah. right. You're right. He, he was the pro. Yeah. So, basically, I came in, and I pulled all that stuff together. I pulled Danny in to a race team that I built. I think I... 95, I hired Stumpy. Mm-hmm. Donnie. And, I, and Donnie. Uh, the Donnie story is so funny. I remember his dad coming up to me. This was 1995. Nobody remembers Donnie's dad ever coming up to them. Oh. <laughs> so this is the story. Donnie's dad came up to me, and Donnie was 10X at the time. And he's like, 
why why don't you guys hire him like sponsor my kid? He's that good. And I just looked at him. I'm not joking. This is how it went down. Right. I went, okay, I will. <laughs> and I did. And the rest is history, right? That's awesome. We had to build him custom everything because right. he was so small. Well, didn't Randy- I remember going to South Park the first year he was on the team. He never raced NBL before. South Park, and he jumped the big triple in the last turn. Right. Or the double, I don't remember, it was the a triple or double. Yeah. yeah, he jumped it and he broke his forks off. And we're like, what are we supposed to do now? These are cus- It's not like we carry a couple of forks around because you're going to jump everything, right? right? And uh, gosh, that was that was amazing. But I remember that kid, people were freaking. You remember how people came yeah. to the, yeah. came to the, the they fence? They would come to, to the fence them. to watch Donnie Robinson. Yeah. And then whoever he was battling with, it was Jason Ream or whoever. His teammate, Ryan Nelson. Spanky or, in NBL, wasn't it? This, the, uh, Brandon Grand Nelson, Grand Brandon Kutzweiler, or something like that. No, so so Br- Ryan Nelson was later on. Okay. But at the beginning, I think it was Spanky, Spanky yeah, uh, yeah, that he battled yeah. in NBL. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, well, he was so. He was little. Like really little. Oh yeah, but he was just so, killing everybody, so and he would boost. He would jump stuff. Yes, he would. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, my vision I, again. I wanted to have a vision. I'm like, I want the team to be bright. So I went. I made. I'm like, we're going bright orange, mm-hmm. right? And that's when I had the custom painted helmets and the the uniform. The gear was all bright Brett, orange Brett, with Brett the King helmets, right? Uh, at that time, it was a, a company called Trickstar, okay. mm-hmm. and a guy back in New Jersey. Uh, yeah, because he was doing the hyper helmets. Yes. He was doing, um, yeah, he was doing the hyper helmets. Yeah, I don't know, I, Eric Carter, somebody Clay Goldsmith. I yeah. don't know how I got that. That was the connection, though. You're right. Uh, so we did Trickstar helmets back then. Yeah, yeah they were very unique, kind of like uh, yellow and orange and black checkerboard. Yeah, kind of like yes. the whole, the, you know how Powerlight was checkerboard. Yeah. So that yeah, looked good. How did uh, Mario come into the fray? So Mario, Mario came in. Uh, he was on dance competition. And I remember he rode for the Sonner, Terry Sonner. Didn't he do? Did I mean I don't? Maybe I'm wrong on this, but didn't he do Dan's NBL Powerlight and then? No, but he no. went he went straight Powerlight yeah. straight away. Okay. Yeah. So I remember seeing him. I'm like, dude, that kid is good. I, I don't remember how what caught my eye, but I'm like, that kid is. I just I remember him being so flexible even on the bike, just the way mm-hmm. he rode. I'm like, he's good. And then I heard his story and. His parents sent him to Miami to live with somebody, and basically he was in his own apartment right. by himself. Right. And I'm like, this kid's 16, right? <laughs> right. And he's living in he Miami. He's really mature for his age, right? Yeah. And I'm like, hey, I want you on my team. And dude, he was the most humblest, coolest kid. And dude, it just seemed like he was really good. Hey, what's and funny? Then he got he, he, he didn't seem that humble when him and Christian were hitting on my wife at Invert, but okay. Well, Anyway, <laughs> they, she we weren't married yet. She was just the girl I that took to invert. Yeah, yeah, it was hilarious. Anyway, anyway um, I just remember yeah, Mario. He was really good, great. But when he got on Power Light, he just went boom. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like what, it was what he needed. Yes, it yeah. was what he needed because I remember seeing him on dance, and he was like always good. But yeah, he when he got on Power Light, he it was yeah. And I've always said like the race that never happened was Mario and Bubba. Mm, yeah, because those two just—they were so—I don't even say motivated, but they were so fixed on getting to the front. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and their skill was so much better than at that time. Yeah, yeah. was ahead of the game. That just—that well, was Mario the won the, the the worlds in Argentina, yeah. which was is a few. I'm going to jump in a few years ahead, but that cruiser main he came from the back when V Dog was winning. <laughs> yeah, Dude, I remember. I saw a video yeah. of that and yeah. it got me chills because I second to last crowd was going crazy. Mm, yeah, that was uh, his a big, big win. That was when everybody. I remember the ad. He was on a he was on an inflatable chair and couch right. with the world. I have the ad in my garage. Oh, yeah. 
So we blew that ad up, and when we had his memorial, we had everybody that was mm-hmm. there signed it. I saw. Well, you know, I went to that that race, like that his memorial race. We went like, to his bedroom, every, like every yeah. like for the five years I went every year they had it. We went. And we, we went had, to his mom's house, and, that, and the whole the bedroom was yeah. a memorial, and all that stuff yeah, was there. Yeah. I remember, she kept his bedroom. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, it was, it was really cool to go to his yeah. like to go to his house and meet his mom. That was mid two thousands. But one of the things, too, that I remember Mario telling me early, early on when he got on the team, he's like, the biggest thing he was into was stretching. Huh. He wouldn't weight lift. He, would, he did sprints, and he would stretch flexible. and stretch wow. and stretch. And he's like, he would have this theory about, like, the, the, the more limber you are, number one, when you crash, you'll have less injury. But it actually, maybe it's on the yoga side mm-hmm. of things, but when you stretch a muscle, it actually strengthens it. Yeah. Right? So I remember... So many times he might have, when he crashed, I'm like, he's hurt. He didn't get hurt. <laughs> and he, he, he just, he was such a flexible guy. Yeah. And when I would watch him stretch, I was just like, there's, he knows something that a lot of pros yeah, don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Because they're all into being bigger and stronger. And he was about being into more flexible and lighter. Interestingly enough, Javier is super flexible too. Mm-hmm. And would stretch like that. Yeah. That's I mean, a, his, he just, and the other thing that caught my eye, I think, early on was um, before he was on the team and when he got on the team was his balance point on a bicycle. Mm, yeah. I would watch him do stuff. I'm like, dude, you could win trials competitions. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, between you, motos, he'd be bored. Even in the hotels. And I would watch know, him do crazy stuff. In the hotels, in, like in a between race, in the stuff. parking lot, like on a Saturday night after a race, he'd be in the hotel parking lot, like hopping on the curb, like yeah. doing like kind of flat landing Hans trials. Ray, Hans yeah. Ray stuff. Yeah. And just and messing and around. It, and it translated for him. It translated from the bike. I watched him handle a soccer ball. Uh, and he, the same thing. He just had this. He has this really good sense about him. His, his pro pri- pri- prior perception or something like that. Proprioception. That's what it was. Whatever he yeah, had, dude. He had a good... Was amazing. Yeah. He was... Um, like, his balance and his perception. And I, another thing I remember... We were in Orlando um, at an NBL race, I think it was. And I watched him go around two people in a turn like this at high speed. Mm. And I'm like, dude, how do you know what you're... What's doing? He's like... <laughs> Biggie, I see all this stuff in slow motion. That's I, amazing. I don't, I don't, I don't think about it. I just see it in slow motion and I do it. And I remember reading stuff about it back then. It's like these F1 drivers and all these guys that are mm-hmm. high intense athletes. They see everything in slow motion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm like, dude, that's exactly. He was game changing. He was in the middle of doing it. You know. Yeah, he was in the middle. Yeah. Of, and yeah. when he passed, he was leading points. Yeah, yeah, dude. He, he got was second both days of the Christmas class. He was leading Classic. points. Yeah. yeah, I remember talking to. Anybody from Robbie Miranda to um, to Neil Wood to uh, you know Jamie Staff, they're like, dude, he's the next guy. There's mm. no doubt about it. And I remember, I don't know if we're getting ahead of ourselves or something, but I remember like, there's going to be, I don't know what's going to happen here. Mm. But Danny, Danny's our double A pro, and yeah. he's going to turn double A. Yeah, I want to keep this guy because right. nothing yeah. against Danny, I love him, right. but this. Dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. Needs a spot in our organization. Yeah, yeah. He he was a franchise guy, dude. I easy, huh. easy. But it's it's pretty ironic what happened and when it happened, because I always I one of the things I think about is like what would have happened to him without Powerlight and where would he have gone? Because mm-hmm. he was so attached to our brand and we were such friends and the whole thing dispersed, you know. And I just like, man, maybe this is a dumb thing to say, 
but maybe it was just his time that yeah. mm-hmm. he shouldn't have been like he he came up and he was this superstar thing happening and then it was his time to go yeah. you mm-hmm. know and what a crazy thing like he passed away on a motorcycle I do. I remember. Here's another thing. I remember. I remember Darren being, Mitchell giving me the calling me to tell me, and like I was almost just like, "It was at the Christmas one." Yeah. 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 When that dude got on, so we were at Shane Vincent's house. Um, he got on a, on an ATV, and when he got on a throttle, he went nuts, dude. Mm-hmm. He went like way over. Like he didn't like. He thought he knew what he was doing, but he would ride over his head. Uh, and when I when I heard that he he just was going way too fast around a turn and he hit a guardrail, I was like, well. That's Mario, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and what, what, and you guys probably know this from going down there, but his brother passed away same the way, same right? exact yeah. way at the same age. Oh, ah, what, crazy. But anyway, um, yeah, so it just, I mean, I guess I don't know how much longer you want to talk about Powerlight, but what was interesting, um, when the bankruptcy thing, when GT was changing hands, um, TC and I went racing. Oh, well, that, that last year, um, we there was a whole bunch of stuff happening with the budgets. Uh, we don't know what we're doing with racing and blah, blah, I'm like, well, for me, whether it was Chevy Tracker or Spy, Spy was mm-hmm. our, we sponsored by Spy. I'm like, these companies paid into our program. We've got to go racing to, or we're giving their money back. Yeah. We yeah. can't give their money back while we're going racing. Very honorable, you guys. And I don't that. remember really what TC did. If he took a skeleton crew, I don't remember what he did. This is 2001. Yeah. I don't remember what he did, but I remember um, getting shut off in September. So this is when the bankruptcy happened to GT. This is really interesting for you guys that are listening about GT. So GT was supposed to change hands and um, um, Huffy was going to buy GT and I they didn't want – Huffy was buying Schwinn, sorry. Because Schwinn owned GT mm-hmm. at that point. Schwinn bought GT in 98 right. and then the whole thing was starting to really unravel. So there was a bankruptcy and there was a plan. I This is what I understand. There was a plan of Huffy, Huffy wanted Schwinn. They didn't want GT. They were going to sell GT when they got it in this bankruptcy court in Colorado because that's where it was. Mm-hmm. They were having this bankruptcy um, that these guys would sell uh, GT to these five investors. One of them was Andrew Herrick who was running GT at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there was four other guys involved. Um, but uh, a specific cycle came in and outbid Huffy for the, for the brand. Wow. And when they won the bid – Everybody was standing around going, what the heck are we doing now? This is this is not the way this is supposed to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're like, I don't know. But what was interesting, the day that went to court was September 11, 2001. Wow. Oh my and gosh. so when it was supposed to go down, they're like, clear the court. And so, because we were all wondering about our jobs. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, so it, they pushed it out two weeks. Oh my gosh. Because nobody could fly at right, that time. Right, right. Oh my gosh. So... Uh, it was two weeks later that we learned that went to court. Pacific Cycle got it, and the seventy so employees that were there basically like it got let go. So I had the Powerlight trailer there with all the Powerlight stuff, and I'm like, "We're leading points. Mario's leading the, the all, yeah. not Mario, but um, who was on our team then? I think it was uh, Levi Nordmark was on our team. Um, Jason Nelson or uh, Brian Nelson." Was Christian uh, on there at that point? Christian was on the team, I think. Maybe it was the year before. Anyway, 
we were up for title contention yeah. and a couple of our guys were up for nag one i'm like we got to go racing there's three more races what i gotta pull some money together yeah. to get to the grand we can get the three more right. so i called spy <laughs> yeah and i'd like hey can you guys redirect your check to me so we can go racing and we'll put spy bigger everywhere mm-hmm. and phil tinsman at the time said yeah no problem that's cool well, the GT lawyers said, hey, where's the spy money? It's supposed to be coming uh, to us. Oh. And I'm like, I used it to go racing. They're like, you weren't supposed to do that. I'm like, yeah, it was because they paid for us to go racing. Yeah. And you guys, you, what are you going to do? You just take their check mm-hmm. and, 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 and not go racing? Right. So anyway, spy and I, I was basically able to salvage some other stuff. And was able to pay some entries and some of the parents helped and like, hey, we'll fly our kid. Wow. <clears throat> so we went all the way through the grants when TC stopped. He basically said, there's no money. We're done. Yeah, yeah. So GT didn't go to the grants that year. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, well it's, so that's good because I'm glad that story happened in that order because um, what was interesting and what was clear, probably, I could be wrong, but I want to say around... So after you started running, you started doing power light. It became clear maybe a year, especially two years after you were into that, where it was like, you guys were clear. Yeah, GT might have owned it on paper, but it was very clear you guys were your own camp. We were our own camp, and I wanted, I, I had the vision again. That, yeah, maybe that's that, what I'm maybe saying. I was catching but, that but, you know, but what happened, because historically, when it was GT, Robinson, Auburn, like if, if the rider was doing well enough, it was like, oh, you get... You get promoted. No matter what team you're on, you get promoted to GT. But that didn't happen no. with Powerline. And Richard told me early on. Richard Long told me. He's like, I said, I asked. I remember asking him, what, what do we do when you get in a competition? He's like, you kick GT's butt. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, you need to win when you can win. Okay. Okay, cool. So that's what I went to do. I went, I don't care if it was GT or Haro or MC, whoever yeah, we were yeah. racing. I want to win, mm-hmm. you know? So... Obviously, when the race is over, we're all part of one team, whatever. But right. when we're on the track, dude, I'm gonna, my guys are going to beat your guys, TC or Bill Nelson. or mm-hmm. well, That was a transition point, too. But, but yeah, I, I, we went out to win. And I had a vision for the way I wanted to run the team and have the brand to look and the components mm-hmm. I wanted to make and all that stuff. You know, So it transitioned into me coming into a, a team manager part to me really – looking at parts of the bike and how we wanted to be different from GT. Mm-hmm. I mean, we came out with that cockpit and everybody was like, dude, that horror thing's jump compared to this. Yeah, yeah. When we developed it and designed it, there was a des- design element to like, it was easy to manufacture. Like it just looked cool. It looked like nothing else out there. It didn't flex. There was, mm-hmm. I mean, I think Billy was coming in at that time too, but well, that, that, mold, that, that, on that, that, that mold on that, on the side of the bike was just yeah. game over. Yeah. The hydroform, yeah, that's what it was. Like Harl hydroform, but not like that, right? You know, um, so yeah, it was. Just well, I rode that. I rode a. I rode a Harl monocoque for one race. Yeah, I rode like a brick. Yeah, and that you know, <laughs> sorry Harl, but that was like two thousand. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I didn't ride the monocoque, but I didn't hear any complaints about it either. I remember. Oh, this, this is sorry, in, the in the two thousands. I remember going to the Orange BMX track, and one of my friends. Uh, looked at my bike and because I was out there riding just messing around mm-hmm. and he had a red line an up to date red line mm-hmm. at the time and I'm like here ride this bike and he rode it he's like this bike is so crazy fast I'm like it might not look the part because it was already 10 years old at that time mm-hmm. or whatever 
but it was still one of the most legit, mm-hmm. functioning, cool-looking. No, that that bike was ahead of its time, and I'll actually say because we, we were talking about Yvonne Lepra on the way up, but he wrote for Specialized, some Brandon Meadows. But that last Specialized, whatever that was, the one that Christoph wrote, the last one, not their monocoque thing, no. but that last one, that was ahead of its time too. Right. That was like a. Real I don't ride. remember anything other than yeah. the one without the seat tube. No, no, no not that bike. No, their their one after that was. I don't remember it. Way ahead of it. Well, because, you know, but... How many... Uh, but that was a great did, bike. Did you keep tabs on how many titles and stuff you won? Yeah. Yeah, we won uh, two ABA titles. Yeah. And four million second places. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every time, dude, I was yeah. like... Right. I went... Right. GT beat us. Ah, right. oh, dude, this year, Haro beat us. Haro uh, Troop here. Yeah. 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 So when we won that title for the first time, Mario was there. Thankfully mm-hmm. about that. Um, man, it was special, dude. Yeah, because it was in a, it was in an age where there was four hotly taught teams. I mean, it was us, GT, Haro, well, legitimate bike companies, and Redmond, Le- legitimate, and Redmond. yeah, and Redmond, and they had and Redmond. It, it was like thirty people on the team to get it yeah. done, right? And they were they were the guys that scrapped, kicked, punched yeah. to get whatever they could get. Yeah. Right? Um, so. Yeah, it was it was cool to win that first one, and then uh, and then when we won the second one, Mario wasn't there, but it was like he kind of was there. But us, yeah, know? so it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm thinking of the sponsors because because you had Spy, you had Chevy or Panasonic or G- Panasonic. Or, we had Chevy Tracker, we but had, then Haro had Lee. That's right, and Adidas. Redmond had Yamaha. Yeah. Like it just Nike. Yeah, GT had Nike. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. LA gear for a while yeah. Vans for a while we went through all well quite a few shoes yeah. but, I'm just, but, but of all the teams that were battling each other when you yeah. think of the people supporting them well when when yeah. GT when Nike came in and, and did GT they was doing Nike with Sun which was the powerhouse yeah. European yeah. team and, yeah. and, and obviously probably even a better mountain bike team you know there was but, I, but G, uh, TC alluded to it a little bit Doug Martin um, was was influential getting a lot of these sponsors like early on mm-hmm. with the mountain bike team because mountain biking was blowing up. Mm-hmm. Like he brought Acura in. That's how Nike got into our program. Oh, through they, Acura. Yeah. Well, not through Acura, but through the mountain bike team. Right. And so Nike came in through that way. Um, the Chevy Tracker thing happened that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just uh, there was a lot of crossover from the mountain bike team. And honestly, like... I want to say I remember that, that Doug Martin did a lot of that heavy lifting for sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I understand when, when they went to sell some spell sponsorship um, with the teams, it was like you get the mountain bike team, you get these BMX teams, you get these gigantic wide variety of demographics that you can have grassroots touch with. Yeah. The only thing that was really big that we, that, 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 that I remember the BMX side of it brought in was WD-40. Mm-hmm. And WD-40 just loved... The aspect, um, and I don't know the leadership of the company now, but they love the aspect of kids early on learning what WD-40 is. And just yeah. when they grow up, they're just going to pick up a can of WD-40. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And it works so well because even their, their, the colors of the brand oh, and everything it was, it just was perfect. Like, and they were with us. And essentially, the local company in San Diego. Yeah. I want to say they were with us all in the end. So yeah, WD-40 was uh, always backing yeah. what we did. But then, but didn't back the mountain bike team. They were right. You're right. They wanted to be a part of the youth. Right. Started it. So a couple of things left on power Questions I have. One is Thunder. Thunder Danny Nelson also won the '94 World Championships for you. 
You was uh, water for dogs. Water for dogs. You actually he made up. He made up for you getting scored on your water. Yeah, I didn't get any of money. Yeah, yeah. But you actually used to um, video a lot of the racing. I know, videoed. You videoed. If you put that you race on. If YouTube, anybody's I listening, yours. I have a closet full of VHS tape. I'd yeah. love to transfer digitally. I'd love to give it to you. You got yeah. a lot of stuff, Dude, yeah. I've got. I hear he was filming before anybody. At least I, you know, a lot of the race. He always had the camera. Yeah. He always had, had a camera. camera. I had. So this started with Bill Nelson. He gave me here, Biggie, take this right. <laughs> a VHS thing that you right. put it. And I was filming 1990. Mike mm-hmm. Luna, Justin Green. Mm-hmm. I have those videos. But you used to do the you used to do the tour edits back. Before they were edits, right? They were I just videos. had fun doing it. Right, right. But that was one of the things, too, that I did with my team. Thanks for bringing that up. I videoed every one of their means. And we would go back and watch. after we ate and we watched everything. So way ahead of the game. They would say, yeah. oh, dude, I got the end. Because you didn't pedal. Yeah, watch. Yeah. You see what he's doing? And we would go over and over and over the films. And, dude, the next day, without hesitation, our team would be better. Right. The whole team. Mm. You see, that's what they do now, obviously, at the Olympic level. If you go to mm-hmm. a, a BMX World Cup, you know, all the coaches have got the, the iPads filming the races. But like, I always think, like, Big E was doing that, you know, yeah. 25 years ago. I just, yeah. I, I, you know, it's just me. I don't know whether I picked it up from MFL and looking at films or whatever. I'm like, but I always remember, like, you can always see what, if you see what you're doing wrong, mm-hmm. you can fix it. Mm-hmm. You don't, you think, you think you know what you're doing, but when you see yourself do it, Oh, I didn't realize I didn't pedal there. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, look at that line you missed. You could have totally went under. So, and I just felt like, you know, again, with my team, I was more than a team manager. I was more, I was like a friend to these guys mm-hmm. that I wanted to see every single one of those kids excel. Mm-hmm. And, and so, whether it was bringing the E-team thing into it or listening to my church tapes or whatever mm-hmm. we were doing, this is what we do. We do it together. Yeah. So... There was one guy, um, um, Jason Cowick, who really didn't fit in. There was a couple of – John Whipperman came in for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't really fit in with our, what we uh, did. Um, but it wasn't for the lack of trying, right. you know. Um, right. So. What I remember Randy got on that team. That was like his first – because he went from like high tech. Yeah. And he was like a California – Sequence pads. Yeah. He was he, – his he was mom a, made him sequence yeah, pads. He was a California NBL kid, which is – what's that? And then, um, but I remember he got on the team, and I feel like he cut the back end and like no, rewelded, or his dad, his dad did. did. His, cut his the dad back end cut shorter. the back end of the chromoly frame off and rewelded it, took an inch out of it. Yeah, and <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot, all right. And, and then they did some weird paint job. He ran to a cover forty-eight. He ran a forty-eight fourteen or something crazy. I remember the first time and, uh, Randy but showed up at the a, ABA You race. had a really good eye for talent because Randy Stumphauser. Hello. I got lucky. Hall of Famer. I'll tell you what. With my team, number we'll, one, we'll I'd like to say I, sure. I had an eye, and I think I did. But I got lucky with kids excelling. I got lucky with really, really good parents that would help mm. me do stuff. Well, that's all part of the process, right? I mean, And I got lucky with people coming on board with my vision. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Definitely worth but that, it. But that's part of the deal. I mean – yeah, pick it. You want, especially Sometimes in this in BMX, you want some parents who you, you know, you know, don't I think, mind hanging out with in the pits. And I it's think important, TC, even what I do now. Support. Like I, I want to know about the parents before I. I've seen a lot of now, parents. You know? I've seen a lot yeah. of parents ruin their child's career or options for sponsorships. It happens in every sport. Uh, I'm sure every sport. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. well, I see it in soccer, motocross. I mean, we're switching teams. Well, we. 
I'm gonna go ride for that guy. You didn't I thought your kid was right. We're getting an extra tire. Yeah, a year. Okay. Yeah. What? Um, I don't know if you know this, but you know Mary Stromberg's his hero was Thunder Dan. I didn't know that. And he had a power light. And because, oh, I didn't know that either. His, his hero was Thunder Dan. Yeah, yeah. That was oh, his wow. uh, his inspiration coming through. You know that guy's yeah. <laughs> Is there anybody ever to touch what he did? You uh, can't. You can't. You can't because there's no NBL anymore. I was just thinking of the Olympics. Oh. Well, I mean, there's people that can win. Connor could win too. Yeah, Connor um, could win too. But I mean, I would say, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a whole other debate and another podcast. Yeah, the goats. the goats. You know what I thought we should bring Sorry. up? Sorry, I didn't mean to judge yeah, you. you. But you I did, one thing I didn't want to say because everyone jumps on who's the goat. We should kind of start like, because in motocross, it's the goat and the king. You know, uh, so maybe right, the two that would be an action. Right, you know? right. But you see, yeah. the thing is, the goat and the king kind of overlapped a little bit. Yeah. But the... There's different eras of racing. Like mm. Bob Hanna was the goat in transitioning out of the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Um, during the during the eighties, David Bailey was the goat. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, so it just really depends on the era you're talking right. about. Yeah, right? yeah. Always a good. Uh, you could argue that Christoph Lebeck was the goat, mm-hmm. like in the mid nineties, right? Definitely a game changer. Yeah. You know, he definitely you know? changed a lot yeah. of. Yeah, Christoph gets the game changing title all day long. I pull you. Yeah, <laughs> we sees we sees what happens. Let's uh, yeah. bring it into after GT, and then you kind of transition into you know the moto industry. Yeah, so I, I again, I I, um, I always followed motocross. We always emulated. I remember even on those early days of the Auburn tour, we watched Supercross or try or dial in the one nine hundred pro race and try to find out results and or or what about watching the <laughs> South Park first straight? Yeah, you guys would you guys would be on the first straight. Doing moto noises after yeah. every moto. Yeah. We, should, we didn't touch on it, but the relationship between you and McGrath and GT. Well, I was just well. going to yeah, say, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. how I, um, yeah. I really, um, I early on when McGrath um, was pro, um, before he got a 250, we actually started sponsoring him. Mm-hmm. He was in the early, the first 4130. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that was he did a knack knack on a BMX bike before he did it on the motocross bike. I've got the interview ready to go. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, he did that knack knack at Sheep Hills, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so I, I was a big fan of Jeremy's, and I'm like, again, all these companies, um, bike companies, are striving to sponsor all these motocross athletes. Now I was like, well, who did that first, right? And um, so we sponsored Jeremy with mountain bikes and BMX bikes, but he just loved BMX, so we kind of pushed on that side of it, and um, and so I always followed motocross. I went to the motocross races, and supercrosses when they were in town, so. When the GT thing went out, um, I was I was at motocross tracks riding, and I knew Don Maeda at mm-hmm. at the, um, he was starting a magazine, um, which Brad McDonald owned a Transworld BMX. He was starting Transworld Motocross, right? And Don's like, "Hey, the magazine's going monthly. I need a guy that can write. Can you write?" I'm like, "I think I can do a pretty good job. I know product pretty well. I'm a fan. I get it. You know." He's like, "Let's go. Let's do it." And so I I started working in the magazine, and and so. Um, and so, and there's so many parallels to what the sport of motocross is and does as to what I was doing. You know, I was just now on the other side of it, and then uh, you know, and again, it just translate. You know, after a year and a half working there, um, a spot opened up at Answer, and uh, became the brand manager at Answer, and I was doing clothing and hard parts. And I'm like, <laughs> like again, like I've done this like so many times, so. I just felt like I um, I was able to really spread my wings there and mm-hmm. do and just rebrand answer and we sponsored Ernesto Fonseca and we rebranded Pro Taper into this thing that what it is today mm-hmm. and Pro Taper is just like the it's its own 
wheel. Yeah, and at that time it was just answer pro taper, right. and we made handlebars and grips. And now it's this, and that was my vision. I'm like, pro taper needs to be its own brand. Mm-hmm. So I've just been able, again, just I've learned so much in the school of Richard Long, and in BMX that translates in everything I do. It's like, it's I was just fortunate to to grow up under great leadership and mm-hmm. and, and mentors that probably didn't know they were mentoring me at the time, like Todd Huppen and Richard Long, and even TC, that um, it just translated into what I do and, and, and now, you know? Timmy Ferry, was he your guy at Answer Right? Uh, no, uh, the first Answer guy we sponsored when I was there was Ernesto Fonseca. Okay. And then Ryan Dungey was my amateur guy early on too. Right. Which translated out of the amateur ranks, and I was able to, manip- not manipulate, but... Talk to Roger DeCoster. Hey, this young kid wants to get try to get a ride. Can you give him a tryout? Mm-hmm. And then it just took off from there. It's like, wow. it, yeah, just and I think about like, just the this, the way this story happens. You know, how was it? I mean, it's interesting because you said like a lot of BMX kids. I wanted to race motorcycles, but and to have a conversation with Roger DeCoster. Oh, dude. like, has that so, ever? Does that? Do you ever pinch yourself? When that kind of stuff happens, just be, you know, as a kid, honestly, just I didn't up think wherever, about it. I didn't. I think just hit me. I didn't think about it at the time. No, but because yeah. um, I was already, uh, I had a relationship with Roger through Pro Taper because Suzuki ran Pro Taper, and um, I think I talked about this on the other podcast. But um, we had a bad batch of bars come through that I knew we knew went bad because they had some corrosion inside, and I came over here across the street to the Suzuki race shop and I said, Raj, don't. It was like eight o'clock at night. Where's Rod? He's Roger's still here, and he's in the back machining something because that's what he did, dude. Mm-hmm. He's just he was making a part to send to Japan, saying we need to make this, yeah. right? And um, I came over and I'm like, hey, you guys, don't use these handlebars. They're gonna they have a chance to fail. And from that point forward, he just I think he respected me. Yeah. And we just it was just like we're talking now. Yeah, it yeah. was the one like things. Oh, you're five time world champion. Yeah. No, I know. It's just one of those things when you you know you don't think about it, right? But because it happened to me where, you know, I, you know, I'm a kid in New Jersey, right? And I end up moving to California eventually and racing pro. And then, my, But my brother, who that's the reason why I started racing, he's in the car with me one day visiting. And my phone's on the, you know, on the whatever, the magnet. And then the phone call comes in and it says Bob Harrow. And he looks at me like, you know, he looks at me like, uh, you going to get that? And I look at him like, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna get that. yeah dude, when, <laughs> I, when I see Bob Harrow now, he's like, hey, what's up, Big E? I'm like... <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm not worthy. Yeah. Yeah. But my point is, I mean, so you you just said it like you know, Roger's the dude who works down the street. But I'm thinking, wait, this is the kid who couldn't race moto, right? Like BMX was like the yeah. the fall yeah. was the fall was like the next runner up, right? Yeah. And then here you are, like in the thick of it. I just that's really cool. I'm just really thankful to, and again, I think it's so much of it. It just goes back to TC in those early years mm-hmm. of make sure you're hanging around the right people mm-hmm. because when you are, good things happen, you know? And that's honestly, that's what's happened in my whole life, you know? Like you're around good people and you an opportunity comes and you do it and it turns into a good thing or a bad thing. But mm-hmm. you can kind of, if you're around those good people, usually it's a good opportunity, yeah. right? Or you're going to learn from it or something, right, right? right? So I just, honestly, that's my story. Like I just, I got early on. I got influenced by a good guy, probably Lenny Batiki first, mm. and then TC, and then I was 
in the vapors at that time, just just catching the vapors, trying to follow the right trail. And and now I'm here and on a podcast, which is probably one of your longest ones, maybe. No, we've had but, a lot of ones. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, again, so thankful to be like, like who wants to know my story? Who cares, right? Like I wasn't Greg Hill. I wasn't Gary Ellis. I wasn't any of that. I was the guy that was like mopping up after those dudes, right? But um, But really... You've got so much, uh, I've learned a lot just from listening yeah. to you today, and that's what I like. You know, of course, we, we enjoy watching watching motocross and supercross, but it's the same thing. I like to know what's happening in the pits when I'm yeah. looking for footage and yeah. stuff. Obviously, we watch the race, but I don't want to read the race report. I want to know what's going on in the background. And well, I you think can find a lot, out the a lot of, of people, you know, England has a huge mid-school, old-school BMX following, you know, guys from my era, so they really... They, they, they love this stuff as well. But like I say, we get, we get a lot of feedback and uh, I, I, I like to do podcasts with people I want to learn from, you know, being right. the mm. nerd, old, you know, the, the, the history nerd I am. Hit on well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one of the, one cool thing though is when I go to Supercross races or when I'm traveling, I'm at, I'm at a race somewhere in, in um, Mechanicsville, Maryland or in, in Seattle, Washington. And I hear at almost any race, Big E! It's somebody yeah. from BMX. Right, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, dude, what's up? Right. I don't remember who it was. Right, right. But they're like, dude, yeah, like right. Powerlight or whatever, yeah. or GT. And it's like, it's so gratifying to somebody remembers but what were, I do. Well, you were part, you were very much just as much in the public I, eye like you were, the part, videos, you were part well, the, the videos but even before the even before GT section, you know I mean yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I know a lot of coverage I've been going through the magazines for you know knowing I was going to do in you and TC yeah, and your you kits guys, your you kits got a lot yeah, of your kits you know? always looked yeah. good you yeah. knew how to ride a bike you were you know you were good on the camera I was and yeah. Simon could be that's what I wanted to hit on yeah. good friend of yours that came yeah. from GT that went into Amazing yeah. things with, with motocross and photography, video. He's, uh, yeah, I would say for me, he's the best photographer. And, and obviously it's subjective, but I, but I know in how Simon works and how he does his craft. Dude, I, I mean, I started, I, uh, we, I knew of Simon. He started working at GT, I think it was in 93. And we've been friends ever since. And I just, he just, you, you gravitate to him because he's Simon, right? But... He really knows this craft. And, you know, I told this story before with Chad Reed and how, how professional. Mm-hmm. It's like when you want to get the job done, you get professional in it and yeah. you get it done right. Yes. Right? Um, that's Simon. You know, I, I, so many times, like, I remember people that didn't know Simon, he would, you know, he would do what he needed to do. And they're like, are you sure that guy got the shot? I'm like, yeah, dude, he's pro. Mm-hmm. And this is in the days of film when you don't try stuff out. You know, you shoot it right or you don't get the shot. Right. And that's, you know, I think probably a lot of guys would be better photographers if they learn how to shoot film. But I don't even know if you can buy film anymore. But, you know, learning lighting and aperture and, and the composition of photography. Like, I, you know, I take pictures with my iPhone that I learn stuff from Simon. I'm like, I'm not a photographer. Right. But I learned from him. Yeah. And how to set a shot up or where the light is or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just stuff I've been hanging around him, you know. But, yeah, Simon... Um, He's just the, the, the consummate professional in that. Again, it's not just the photography. It's, it's his organization. It's his composition. It's how he organizes a photo shoot and takes com- charge of, okay, we did shoot this. I need you over here. The light's changing, you know, whatever. And uh, I, wherever I go, whether it was GT or Answer or wherever I was doing, I'm using Simon. Mm-hmm. Because I know I'm going to get good photography. And even in the land of of Instagram and social media now, so much of that depends on good photography. Mm-hmm. And 
that's Simon. So yeah, even back to I remember when he shoot the teams. We'd have photo shoots with GT Team Robinson, Powerlight, Auburn. There's probably twenty five kids. Yeah, yeah, all in one location after the Phoenix Winter Nationals. Mm-hmm. We went to uh, the the other local track, and he was shooting and orchestrating the whole deal. I got it on film. I'll try and dig some of it up, but yeah, just totally ahead of his game and then obviously we watched him from afar and, and what he did in motocross you know so it's pretty amazing and the re- the reason why he's shooting motocross is when he was started to shoot because at the time gt started carrying uh, uh mechanics wear gloves okay, and axo yeah. cycling oh, yeah, yeah. so that's how he got in and then axo um jim hale with mechanics and then um and then davy coombs at racer x tried some of his photography out or i don't know how they started but it was instantaneous and they started he started shooting for Racer X early on, and, and when I think it was before I was there after, but Simon was what was the main photographer at uh, Transworld, right? So, and then after that, he got an exclusive deal with Racer X. But, but yeah, it's I mean, good photography is good photography. And now, what he's doing now with his upshift, upshiftonline.com, um, he shoots these wide landscape pictures. That when you open, if any of you guys want to see Simon's stuff, it's uh, it's upshift online. And uh, it's just these wide landscape adventure bike pictures, mm-hmm. and he's in his element, man. Because wow. that's that's how he started shooting on four by five film camera, wow. and so he can appreciate this wide landscape. So when you look at the photography in there, you're like, that's all Simon in his in his wow. glory, really. You know, good so for him, good for us. We get yeah, to enjoy I can't. I mean, I can't say enough about Simon. He's a great friend of mine. When I was out of work, he would hire me. He would take a portion of what he would earn and go, you're my assistant. That's so rad. I'm yeah. like, dude, really? And he would take me on all these different photo shoots to do that. And he helped put food on my table when I didn't have work. Yeah, so that's cool. That's loyalty. Yeah. Friendship. Yeah, totally. What's the future for you? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know how much... I mean, eventually, I'm sure motorcycles won't have exhausts anymore. <laughs> we'll see about that. But I don't know when that's going to change. But I don't... I mean... I, I really feel like I'm 20 years younger than I am. I still ride my mountain bike a ton. Um, I hang around young people and I act like an idiot still. Uh, so I feel, I feel like I'm still like 30 years old, you know, maybe my knees don't feel like that, but right. honestly, I, I go ride my motocross bike or I ride my mountain bike and I hang around friends and I do cool stuff and my wife and my kids let me do it. And, uh, I just feel like, I don't know what's next, but here's what I can tell you. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I think Big E's an example of keeping it fun. Yeah. Hard, loyalty, passion. You and know, passion like, just oozes, you know? But like when it boils down yeah. to it, that simplicity, those, mm-hmm. those key ingredients, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. If you love what you do, you're going to have a good time. You're going to be around good people. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, if more people could, could really understand that, and I, 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 I see people all the time that they're miserable, miserable at their jobs, right? I'm like, man, you got to find something you love to do. Mm-hmm. Like, go pour Slurpees at 7-Eleven if that's your thing, mm-hmm. but love what you do. Mm-hmm. Because, man, life is too short, dude. It's too short. And in a blink of an eye, my daughter's coming home tomorrow from college. I'm like, that's she was crazy. just born. That's crazy. And so, I don't know what's next, but I, I just know that by these principles that we've been talking about over this whole podcast that it's going to be awesome because I've got a great, my wife, my family is great. My friendship, my close friends that are, that are with me a lot and ride with me or whatever. 
Um, I got a great place to work that appreciates what I do. Again, I, I, I pinch myself. I'm like, I, I did something right or I got yeah. lucky or something to where I'm just pumped. Well, I don't think know? it's an either or, right? I think, I think like how, many guys are 50, are how many guys are 53 years old and like a kid in a candy store? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Biggie would be a good guy to run a national team. I think. Just thinking. Yeah. Just, just team thinking. bonding, the, just everything he's said. Yeah. I did, just, just, just a different time though. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. Yeah. So end of the world. that said, thoughts on BMX today? Uh, <laughs> Jason, why are you ruining <laughs> this another hour? for me? Yeah. No, I don't have a lot to say about BMX now because I'm not completely crazy involved in it. Yeah, well, um, I watch it from you, afar off. Well, your thoughts are still important. Okay, here's my thoughts. I think, and no offense to USA Cycling, but I think, I think it's healthy for the sport to have two sanctioning bodies. I might be crazy to say that. Maybe it's not. There's not enough room to do it. Mm-hmm. But I always think, and this goes back to Richard Long, right? Again, competition makes you better. Mm-hmm. Always. If there's no competition, why do you want to excel? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that another another sanctioning body would be good. Um, I see. Um, I see the high starting hill as a why. What's the point? <laughs> because okay, no matter what, at the end of the day, the race is still thirty-seven seconds long. No matter how fast or how far you're jumping, and the risk of getting injured is a lot higher. And it's not that much more spectacular to watch. I think, in my eyes, because when you watch some of those old videos of. The, the starting hill being four feet tall at the ABA Grands and guys going around. The racing was crazy exciting still, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the sport needs a high hill. Um, and there's it seems like with the soil tech and all this infrastructure stuff that needs to happen, maybe it's just a constant evolve of the sport that needs to happen. But man, I wish the guys rode, raced on dirt. You know, that was... And, it's, and even in Supercross, that's one of the things I really appreciate about it. It's like you have to read the track. You have to know where the lines are. That's loose out there. It's it's there's a rut here. Whatever. That was BMX, right? Like, I mean, now there's it's just like it's paved. You can carve wherever you want, you know. So I think there's an element of that missing. That's kind of a bummer that you don't you don't get to to experience that part right. of it. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, like, you know, you, you just posted the thing on that pump track, you know, like, mm-hmm. how, how cool is that, that a community center can just make this pump track and you can't even ride on a thing because there's so many people, the opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so many. So yeah. it just goes to show right. that people want to be on bicycles yeah. and this fun thing to do, right? So mm-hmm. I don't buy this thing. I don't buy it that um, phones are messing people up. I think that bicycles... And it's the same thing with motorcycles. And, I, and I, we have this, this ongoing thing like, how can we get more people on motorcycles? I'm like, you get them to ride them. Mm. You don't get them in a dealership and, and go, hey, this is what you need. Get them into financing. Another unit sold. Okay, over here. Did you ask that person if they even knew how to ride a bike? Mm-hmm. Did you take a riding school? Do you know how to ride? What kind of riding do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Those type of things mm-hmm. um, that, that just uh, are, are key, fundamental into... You know, that's I've really never spent a lot of time on a street bike, and since I came here, I got a bike and I'm riding on the street. And um, I've ridden and had access to really fast street bikes, and I have this little Z125 that I ride and commute back and forth to work on. 
that it's hopped up a little bit. It's a 168 now and it's, it goes 65 miles an hour. But I have the funnest time on that bike rather than riding the leader bike going 170 miles an hour down the freeway. Mm-hmm. And I've done that. Uh, don't listen, Sandy. <laughs> uh, but man, it's not as fun. Dude, it's, it's, and, and all that to say, like, if you can get people's butts on motorcycle seats and have them feel the vibration and the wind in their face and this sensation of being on two wheels and keeping it upright, there's this, and it sounds really corny and cliche, but there's a sense of freedom to that, that is unparalleled. And I, and I know, and I know it translates into BMX and bikes. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing to Mm -hmm. where you're on your bike and go wherever you want to go. Right. And it's what I did when I started racing BMX. My, I would, there was times when I would just leave and I would come home because it was cooler to ride at night. I'd come home at midnight or 11 o'clock at night. Again, free range parenting, right? Um, but I was just having a good time on my BMX bike, right? Um, I don't care about the phone. That that's, is still fun if we can get kids to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my two cents and we could probably talk for four more hours on it. <laughs> but I, it's not the BMX bike and it's not that bikes aren't cool. It's about getting kids on bikes and having them to experience some of the elements of what we've experienced sitting here talking about. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when that happens, magic and lightning in a bottle happens, right? Yeah, and I think the same exact thing because the motorcycle industry is, is asking themselves the same thing, you know? Like, how are we going to get more people riding? How are we going to get more people to be enthusiasts? And it sounds so simplistic, but it's fundamental. Mm-hmm. And... and, and you got to get them on motorcycles and have them experience that freedom. Sure, it's not for everybody, but man, when you have that feeling, it's on peril. You, yeah. you, it's, you can't, you can't, you can talk about it, but until you do it, mm-hmm. you don't know what that experience is like. So, absolutely. Jason, you got anything you want to ask, Biggie? Sorry for that long no, winded no, no, answer. No, but, I like no, I appreciate that because with BMX, it was difficult with my kids. They didn't really take to BMX, um, but with on the I got my kid a mountain bike and it was boom. It was a different feeling, but he felt I think he felt that freedom. Uh-huh. Um, the chairlift helped. <laughs> yeah, but um, but when you're talking about like picking lines and doing that whole thing, picking like, lines, knowing when to pull the brakes. Yeah, and the yeah that whole bit was like there. There's a it's a, it's more of a tactile. There's more of a feeling sensation to it. There's yeah, it's just, you're, it's just interesting. You're in control of your but life. What I, but what I liked about what you said is, you know, but BMX wasn't his thing. He, he'll he ride a mountain bike. But BMX might be someone else's thing or road or whatever it is. Because when you were talking about – what hit me is when you were talking about getting on your on your um, hopped up 168 um, street that, bike. That bike is fun, dude. And, and one other thing. So since I've been, I bought this bike and I've been riding back and forth to work and I commute on it. Mm-hmm. So it's a little 12 inch wheel, just like that right there, the mm-hmm. monkey. And I spend about $7 a week in gas going back and forth to work. And it takes me about 10 minutes longer. Wow. And I, and dude, I get here to work and people are like, why are you so face? happy? I'm like, dude, I went through the canyon. What do yeah. you mean? Mm-hmm. That's cool. You know, and, and, and when you ride a faster bike, it's cool. But your senses are so more of alert. You know, you're going way faster. There's you're looking more responsibility, right? You're looking a quarter mile ahead. What's going on? Yeah. You're not looking around you. You're looking forward, right? Yeah. Um, 
I just, yeah, it's, it's been a cool experience for me to go from a dirt bike guy to learn about street and how like to ride a street bike and all yeah. that stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, but, but the only reason I can kind of make that transition is like, I understand now when I tell you, when I, when people go, how do we get more people on bikes? I'm like, you gotta get them. Just get them on a bike. They need to sit yeah. down and feel the vibration yeah. and experience the wind in their face. And again, it's cliche, but honestly, that. It's like when you first jumped a double, right? It's like when you first actually got good backside or whatever it is. It's like, ah, yeah, or, or, or yeah. to transition into another sport. It's when you kick that first goal and that feeling. Well, golf right? is the great one, right? When you hit the ball right. Right? Yeah. But even past that, with a motorcycle, you have a really good chance of dying. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You can do it on a mountain bike too. Yeah. Right? Anything. Yeah. And it's like you're in control. You're, you can really... I could ride off that cliff and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Or I can jump this jump and it, yeah, I could break my neck or whatever, right? Or I, you don't think about it, but when you're on a two-lane road, I, this car could just cross over and mm-hmm. it's all over. And I think it's a little bit of that that energy, that element, to where it's not hitting a golf ball, true, right? True. Which is a cool feeling. No, but I'll give you that. There's a there's a there's a there's a a different. I want to say stress, but not in the I'm stressed about work. There's a different sense. There's a danger element to it. Urgency and importance about it. And and yeah, yeah. the stakes are raised, but it it heightens your senses. And that's what I've really, since I've not been riding a BMX bike for a long time, that I ride a mountain bike. You have to concentrate on what you're doing, whether you're You're engaged. Going downhill fast or slow or in a technical section. You're not thinking about the bills. You're not thinking about, you're thinking about getting down or if you're on a long climb you're not thinking about that stuff the stress is off you and I think it's a lot of that stuff transition even into motorcycle yeah, I believe and, that. Riding, and that you're it's you have to concentrate or you're gonna get hurt it's engagement I, yeah so that's good there we go Dale close us out I think we Big E if anybody wants to uh, first of all that was amazing thank you very much <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you guys are amazing no, for sure I thoroughly enjoyed that and um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, check you out, see what you're doing. Yeah, just uh, um, I have an Instagram account, fifth letter E, spelled out, <laughs> right? That's my handle. And uh, you can DM me and say I was a fan of Powerlight or I wrote a harmonicock and you don't know what you're talking about, whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I'm just uh, I'm thankful again that, that, that anybody wants to listen to what I have to say. I don't I don't feel like I've earned it. I've went through some experiences that I think that I can help guide people in, in, in the right direction. So whatever that's worth, but I really appreciate you guys. Again, I mean, even Yusaku, my boss, you know, he, he, he understands that what I'm doing right now isn't making our company any money. But again, big picture, it's good for people that hear this, to hear this. Mm-hmm. And a good experience outside of this it's it's a bigger picture thing, right? Yeah. So oh, we appreciate it. We no, appreciate the awesome. tour, and we'll put some of the video. Well, yeah. we not again. T-shirts and free, again, free swag. Not, Feel like I'm sponsored. I, I just and again, <laughs> goes back to doing things right. Like mm-hmm. so, to set the mood for this. Like you guys got to understand where I am at now, yeah. what we do, and how close what we do here translates into the bicycle thing, mm-hmm. and 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 every there's so many other jobs and industries that parallel what's happening mm-hmm. so but but you guys smelled the the cutting fluid and the like it's just 
who manufactures stuff anymore, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, I do appreciate you guys and, and coming and, and seeing what I do. And even for your listeners out there, I work for Yoshimura R&D of America. It's uh, Yoshimura underscore RD on the gram. Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, um, follow us, check us out if you're in the Supercross. I'm sure if you are, you probably already do. But, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening to me ramble. And I appreciate Dale and, and Jay Rich here to um, be interested in, in my story. Absolutely. Yeah, so, it was amazing. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Big E. And we'll catch everybody next time. Peace. Cheers.